The Poorly Made Police podcast is for entertainment purposes only. The views expressed on this poorly made podcast reflect the opinions of the guests and hosts. They do not reflect the opinion of any department or entity. Nothing on this poorly made podcast should be construed as legal or marital advice. If something offends you, I kindly invite you to lighten the fuck up. If you want to support this very poorly made podcast, click the link at the end of the description and become a monthly sponsor of the podcast. Or... Buy yourself some nice, poorly made police memes merch. Not only does it look good on you, it's also a favorite of wives, exes, children, nurses, nuns, IA investigators, defense attorneys, and the chief. And of course, take care of the fine sponsors of this podcast. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the orgasmic sound of a crown vic. Oh, hey there. Welcome to episode 47 of the Very Poorly Made Police Memes podcast. How are you guys doing? I hope you guys are all having a wonderful day, night, evening, sexy time, whatever you're doing while you're listening to the podcast. I think you guys are going to like this episode. When I was recording it, I thought, fuck, man, this might be one of the best podcasts I've done. Talked about some super heavy shit, but at the same time, some of the funniest shit that's been on this podcast, I think, at least, is... On this episode. So I think you guys are going to really enjoy it. So my guest is a 20-year law enforcement veteran. He's done pretty much everything. He's out now, and he's doing some good shit for cops on the other side, so to speak. And the fellow's name is Coach Crossland, and he has a company called Foresight. I'll leave all the links and all that good stuff in the podcast description. But you know, I hate to be that guy that blows things out of proportion. Like, oh, you got to go see this movie and you go see the movie and it sucks. But I really do stand behind this one as probably being one of the best podcasts. So I hope you guys enjoy it. I'm not going to spend too much time screwing around on the intro because it's a longer podcast. Before I get to the band, I did want to quickly talk about the uh, the tattoo if I get to a million downloads this year. That's a big fucking number, y'all. That's, uh, you know, I basically do about 100 a year. And that's like 10,000 downloads each podcast. That's pretty fucking intense. So I'm all for giving it the old college try, though. So you guys out there, if you're enjoying what I'm doing, fucking spread the word and, uh, you know, all the other good stuff to support me. Anyway, let's uh, get to our band. And that band is Greenwood. This is this guy fucks me because he's changing his name. But you can find the band on like Spotify and Amazon as Brownlow. And then on IG, it's Greenwood Music. So I think the new name is Greenwood. But anyway, go check them out. And I will I will vouch. I listened to his whole record or EP or whatever the fuck they call it on Apple. It's it's good. I really enjoy his stuff. So go check out Brownlow, a.k.a. Greenwood. And I'll be right back with uh, my new buddy, Coach Crossland. We've only got a few nights till you take it. Your flight back home We only hop a one day Cause all the others work no play Let's hit the road We're gonna make the best of the time That we've got This time it's ticking This clock that won't stop So grab your fish and pull your shotgun Where I'm going nowhere, we're just going 
All right. And now the moment you've all been waiting for, I have coach Crossland on the horn with me, the horn being a zoom call. How are you doing tonight, coach? I am. I am fantastic, sir. Uh, I had a good day. It's kind of cold in Texas, but I had a good day and, uh, about to have a little drink. All right. Hold on a second. How cold does it actually get in Texas? Uh, I'll tell you right now. It's like besides 40... last year, that doesn't count. Last year doesn't count. Just... <laughs> no, I think right now it's like 40 something degrees outside. So I mean, that's not bad. Cold. That's a little no, chilly. It is chilly. There's, there's no trees. So the wind blows basically from Mexico to Oklahoma. So, Hey, but I'm, I'm a little further up North and I get that cold Canada air, which I guess I'm not, I'm technically one state away from Canada, but that's, I mean, it's like <laughs> a thousand miles. So whatever. So you, you mentioned you're having a few, you were having a few drinks. What are you drinking tonight, pal? Uh, I am drinking a little bit of makers on ice. Good man. I've got, um, so I like to try beers here on the podcast and, uh, this one is probably going to be bad. This is Barrett's maybe sugar-free. That's your first problem. Ginger <laughs> beer. That's your second oh. problem. So I'm assuming it's going to be bad. So I did bring some yingling down. And then of course I've got a, a whiskey and Coke because that's what I need. And the whiskey is this, uh, unapologetic American whiskey, blue line, the hideaway distillery. I need to get a hold of those people, man. Maybe they want to be uh, the official liquor of the podcast. I'm sure there's all kinds of laws with that. But oh, let's go, absolutely. Let's go with the ginger beer here. Man, I don't know what to think. It's actually kind of good. Like it tastes it. it's like I'm it's like I'm drinking a gingerbread cookie. Oh, really? Yeah, it's really good. Like I thought, like, I didn't think gingerbread. This is good shit. This I would, is the, yeah, I would have thought ginger ale. I wouldn't have thought ginger beer. Yeah, ginger beer tastes like uh, tastes like a gingerbread cookie. Hell yeah, awesome! I should have I should have drank this close to the Christmas time. It would have been perfect, right? So, Coach Crossland here, uh, you were in tech. You're not. You're no longer a cop, right? Retired. Uh, yes, currently at this moment, I am retired. Currently at this moment, I like it because it always can change. So you were in law enforcement for over 20 years in the state of my exes. That's correct, right? That is that is correct, sir. Okay. So on this podcast, uh, it's normally cheeky and fun, and I think it will be, but we're going to talk some real shit on this episode. And I, I kind of feel like sometimes I back myself into a corner because of all the dumb shit I do. And then, you know, when I don't do dumb shit on a podcast, people are like, hey, what the fuck? But I don't really give a shit. So I think you guys are going <laughs> to enjoy this. Uh, by the way... Uh, speaking of dumb shit, if we get to a million downloads this year, I'm going to get a tattoo of the poorly made police memes logo somewhere on my body. Just throwing it out there. That's epic. Yeah. That's epic. I'm going to pimp this episode to as many people as I can possibly pimp it to. Do it. Yeah. And some guy was like, yeah, I'm going to get like 200 burner phones. I, I would like the listens to be legit, but beggars can't be choosers. So true. Yeah, that's yeah. true. I think, you know. If you're getting exposure, you're getting exposure. I think that's what they're supposed to say. I don't know. Some good publicity is good, bad publicity. I don't know. Something like that. I, I don't know. The 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 smart people do all that. I'm I'm a dumb guy in the basement. But right. But anyway, I'm just gonna call you coach because that's easy. And I've never really had a coach. And so that perfect. That's perfect. That's perfect. That's that's where it came from. I, when I was the when I was the CID sergeant and I had my crew. Uh, that's what they refer to me as, as coach. And I think it was more after coach the TV show than like anything else. But yeah, that's what they called me. Oh, do you look like that guy? Not at okay. all. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm a short, I'm a short fat guy and he was uh, a tall and skinny guy. So 
That was a good show, actually. I remember enjoying that show even as a kid. I couldn't tell you anything about it now, but I remember it being good. Well, I, you know what? The Coast of TV show, for me, what I thought it was cool about it is the guy was hard-nosed, and he just took care of business, but he also had a heart, right? That was like the whole point is that even though you're hard, even though you're aggressive and you do this, you know, alpha thing, you're you're still a caring kind of guy. So I get, I'm, at least that's my spin on why they called me coach. It could have been an insult. I don't know. <laughs> I like it. But not to go too far in the left field, but I, I really like that because I, I feel like in our – and, and I say this loosely because I'm not a cop anymore, but I feel we could really use a lot of guys like that. You know, I think this goon thing, I, I don't know. Are you familiar with that term? The goons, they call yes. themselves goons. Now I think yeah. it's stupid. I, I think it's well-intended. I, I think it's stupid for a couple of reasons, but I, I feel like, you know, a couple rookies go out there and, you know, get a couple dime bags and they call themselves a goon, but then they yeah. don't answer the DB in their beat, you know? Right. Yeah, that's no, that's that, I think that's been a problem for forever. And, you know, uh, well, I, you know, I, I mentioned to you earlier that, you know, I'd kind of done every job I could when I was going through uh, my career. And and as a field training sergeant, man. I would tell these kids, you know, it, it's there's more to it. There's more to it. There's more to it, you know, and I try and coach them in that direction. And honestly, you, you try and coach that compassion into them sometimes. but you know, they, they, they did what we all did. They all watched cops and they all watched bad boys. They all watched Will Smith and, and, and they all thought, Oh, that's the job. That's the job. That's what I'm signing up for. I, I was lucky because I, I had kind of my dad as the person I looked up to. And that was my idea of law enforcement. And so I, you know, obviously took in some of his philosophies to me, the, the first part of the job is answering calls. That's why you're there. Mm-hmm. Everything else is secondary. And this, don't get me wrong. The secondary stuff, fucking, you know, hunting and doing all that stuff is awesome. It's fun. It's good shit. And it's, you know, the proactive police work. I'm a big fan of that. But got to be able to answer your fucking calls, dudes. If you can't handle those calls and if you're putting off those calls for service, as stupid as they are, you're kind of missing the point. Well, I, I think you're I think the, the whole point. Yeah. Like you said, the whole point is we got into this job to actually be dispatched to calls for service and help folks. It's not, not all of us are going to be narcs. Not all of us are going to wear, you know, Hawaiian shirts and an entry vest. Not all of us are going to be jumping out of vans and, and snatching people up. That, I mean, that's just, there's not enough room for everybody to do that, number one. But number two, if you ever do that, you know, you realize that, yeah, that's, that's all fun and games. But, you know, that guy that pushed the car around a beat, he's got more experience than you'll ever get. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And. Here's the other fun thing, kids, is sometimes answering your calls for service, you can dig on those and you can find all kinds of good shit and you're already there and you don't need anything else because you're already there. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And they called you. They called you there. Yeah. I, sometimes you, you got to look at the, you know, you got to step back and look at the big picture. There's, and I'm not saying like you go to like the grandma's house for a fraud report and, you know, you start rifling through her shit, but <laughs> have your eyes open. There's some good shit and not in the sense of plain view, like the court doctrine, but just right in front of you. But we've, we've gotten off topic. This podcast is about you and not my feelings on goons. So you're in law enforcement for over 20 years in the great state of Texas. And, you know, we talked a little bit earlier and you said you worked for 
smaller agencies. How many agencies did you work for? Uh, I've worked for a total of three, technically four, but three that, that, uh, so I started in a very, very small town, you know, typical one horse, Texas town. Uh, I moved up to a town that, you know, probably had 30 to 40 officers. I think when I left, we were pushing 60. Uh, and then I finished out my career as an administrator at a sheriff's office out uh, further West. And we had about 35, I think. And then if you included the jail, obviously it was significantly more, but yeah, usually under 50. Okay. You said something that spurned something in my, in my mind here. What is, what does a one horse town mean? I don't even know what that means. It's a small ass town, bro. Like that's it. Like there's no like hidden meaning behind that or anything. Not that I know of, bro. I mean, like, I'll tell you this, the town I worked for, for the first three years of my career, had literally a flashing red light it had some interstate but off the interstate it had one flashing red light okay fair enough yeah i there's not many it's kind of funny when we drive in the town now because i live out in the middle of nowhere my kids are like wow traffic lights i'm like we used to fucking live in the metropolitan area like you've seen traffic lights before (laughs) i think i think most cops do that we all we all move out of the metropolitan area so I, I Googled it because I was curious um, where that terminology came from. Uh-huh. Uh, small and unimportant place. Uh, this must be from a book or something, but a small and unimportant place as ours was in just a one horse town until the nuclear power plant was built. This expression first recorded in 1857, presumably alluded to a town so small that a single horse would suffice for its transportation needs. So it's your your one horse in town is essentially the Uber of the small town. Uh, yeah, I think that would that would make sense because I, I honestly I never saw a horse in town while I was there. I don't know what that means, but wait a second, was- you work in Texas and there wasn't like horses all over the place. <laughs> Have I been lied to all these years? I'll, I'll tell you what, I never wore a hat with my uniform until I went to the sheriff's office. Oh come on, man! I don't know what to tell you, brother. I am so fucking disappointed right now. That is bullshit. <laughs> I know. Um, People that know me know I'm a hat guy. Like I always wear the, the dress hat with the uniform. Yeah, yeah. If I worked at a sheriff's department, A, I would not bang my sister, but I would wear a cowboy hat because that's the right thing to do. Oh, full on, dude. It's a it's a Stetson uh winter, it's a felt. In the summer, it's a it's a straw and or oh. palm leaf, depending on on what your preference is. But yeah, and your sister really, I mean, everybody else will be banging her, so you wouldn't have to. <laughs> nice. <laughs> So the other thing that you, you mentioned to me in your message uh, was that you worked basically every assignment that you can think of. Do you mind naming off to the millions of people that listen to the podcast to some of the assignments you worked through? I'll, I'll, I'll name the ones I didn't go. I didn't get assigned to a task force. So I was never, uh, uh, you know, I was never, you know, assigned to a federal task force or anything like that. But I did work. I started in patrol, uh, became an FTO. Uh, moved over to traffic uh, with those smaller towns. Usually your SWAT teams are part-time teams. So we had a, a part-time team. So I was a team member, uh, a team leader, uh, been a, a trainer, an educator for law enforcement. Jeez, about, about 20 years. So if I've been a cop for almost 25, then yeah, about 20 years I've been doing education. So I've been teaching in-service courses, uh, SWAT stuff, firearm stuff, uh, you name it. And then uh, 
as I promoted, uh, I became an FTO coordinator or the field training uh, sergeant, uh, range master stuff. Then I moved over to administration. And then as I got further on in my career in administration, you know, I was doing both uh, operations and personnel and then, you know, all the policy stuff, you know, that kind of crap. But ultimately, I made my way up the ranks. I finished out as a chief deputy. So that's basically just the guy underneath the sheriff that makes the city work or makes the county work. And then uh, the sheriff does all the politics. But uh, yeah, when I got out, yeah, I, was, I think I had done as much as I could possibly do. I wanted to, I never got a chance to do it. I never got a chance to be a motor jock. I did work traffic in a Mustang. That was pretty cool. And then I never got a chance to do EOD stuff, but that's it, man. Those are the only two things I missed out. Okay. Uh, yeah. The last podcast, we had a guy on a bicycle, so we got to get a motor cop on next, but I know. I'm sure we'll, we'll run into those guys. There's enough of those dudes. Once they take their chaps off, I'm sure they'll come on my podcast. <laughs> right now, out of all of those assignments, what was your favorite? Uh, without a, without a doubt, field training officer with, I mean, literally without a doubt, field training officer. I'm kind of surprised you said that, but I'm also, you're not an asshole like me. It sounds like, so I can see why you do like that. Why, why was that your favorite position? Let me tell you, man, every day was a circus and every day was the front row seat. I mean, nothing, nothing is more uh, funny than watching your rookie just screw the pooch, you know, and not in a bad way, like he's, but just doing funny shit, I think was the biggest part of it. And I, as a field training officer, I could see that what I was, what I was putting out there was affecting somebody in the way they were doing their job. Right. So I, I actually, it's like ringing steel. It's like shooting steel targets. You get an instant feedback of, of what you're doing and is it worth a shit? So as a field training officer, you immediately see if what you're doing is, is paying off by, by the way they act. And, and then when they go on, I know this sounds sappy as shit, but when they go on and you watch their performance and you watch how people respond to them, you kind of take pride in having a little bit of that. I kind of wonder what all my FTOs think, all the heartache and all the training they put in. And I'm in a basement recording a podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> I can only wonder. I, I, I was lucky. I had really good FTOs. All of them were very different and they did things. I don't want to say differently, but they did them different enough where I was able to take, you know, it's that's the oldest thing is oldest time people talk about like, well, each of your FTOs, you take a little bit from and that mold you as an officer. And this is also an old cliche, but I, I think an FTO is the most important position on the police department, because if your FTOs are shit and they have a bad attitude and I look, I hated my agency so much towards the end, but I could not stomach when I saw FTOs talking shit about the agency to some bright-eyed bushy-tailed rookie you got to let them i think there's part of that is you you have to let them figure it out on your own and i get the whole looking out for them but you're also looking at it from your perception yeah yeah you're 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 fucking jaded you're crusty yeah. and you're jaded because most of those ftos are going to be crusty and jaded because we all know especially in law enforcement what's the reward for good work it's more fucking work yeah like you do a good job and you answer your phone when they call, guess what? You're the one they call all the time. You're the one that's going to get that extra assignment. You're the one that's going to pull the extra bullshit. And, and, you know, 
I'm going to tell on myself here a little bit, but you know, and then, then they'll come to you and they'll tell you some bullshit like, Hey bro, I know you don't have any rank, but you know, around here, you're an informal leader and we really appreciate the amount of effort you put into this job, which translates into, Hey bro, I am so glad you're doing shit. I don't have to pay you for Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Essentially. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's a, that's a real thing. And I'm sure there's people in their fucking patrol cars right now, nodding their heads. Like, yep, <laughs> I've heard that one before. And that's, I think a failure on my part. Cause I, owe I wanted to be an FTO. That was like the thing I, I told myself early on, I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And I told a, and I, I may have told the story on the podcast before. So long time listener, if I've said it before, I, I apologize, but basically I, I at, like as a young officer in one of my first reviews, they're like, Hey, what do you want to do? And I said, down the road, I want to be an FTO. Like the next week they put me in an FTO training. So I'm in my mind, still a fucking rookie. They're sending me to this training class to be an FTO that I thought I had no business being at. Cause I was still learning how to be a cop. Right. And then they're showing you all this shit. And I'm like, no, no, I'm not going to do it. And then, you know, by the time, and then I just got so jaded or I was like, I'm not, I don't want, I don't want a dumb rookie in my car, which is the wrong way to look at it. But, and I would help out if they needed help. If they asked, I I wasn't going to say no, I would do it. But people that told me to do it, they said, Hey, look, you have a problem with how things are going on the department. You can actually go and change that. Or you can try to make, you can make things better by training people and they're right. Cause that's the only thing you have in your power as a, as a line level officer is to be an FTO and, and help train the next group of officers. Yeah, absolutely. But with, with, you know, what do they say? Uh, you know, that responsibility with great power comes great responsibility. And, you know, we as FTOs are probably the worst at it, but yeah, you're right. Inevitably I'm crusty and, and, and mad at the world. And, that bleeds through into my training and then my recruit hears me talking shit. And then, you know, he's thinking the whole place is like that. So, you know, yeah, that's the place where you can affect change, but that's also the place where you can screw it up for the future. And the, you know, you're right about, well, how does that affect them in the long run? Right. So if I get out of FTO training and all my FTOs were assholes, how long am I staying there? Right. So, I mean, I think, I think it's, it, it's a big burden. Administrators don't see it that way. Uh, every Christmas, you know, they'll say, Hey, patrols the backbone of the department. We appreciate you. But they don't realize that, you know, when I was an FTO in the early two thousands, I had a recruit in my car every day for over two years, I think like back to back to back to back. And you get tired of having a recruit in your car. So, my attitude got shitty and, you know, my training probably wasn't as good as it should have been. And a lot of these guys suffered for it, meaning that they didn't get the best of me and none of them stayed. I mean, they all ended up going other places, bigger departments than in the area, but you know, that's probably my fault, but I was also pissed off because they kept putting somebody in my car. Yeah. There's, there's gotta be a better way. And it, and it sucks when, especially now and, everybody's at minimum staffing anymore. I mean, I'm sure there's a few agencies out there that aren't, but you're at minimum staffing. You're trying to hire people as quick as you can. And you know, you're limited FTOs. Not everybody wants to be an FTO. Not everybody should be an FTO. 
and you just have people in your car all the time. And that was another thing I was afraid of is, you know, it's one thing to have somebody in your car for a month, but two years, dude, I would have gone insane Two, two years. Yeah. I would have gone absolutely insane. It, it got that way. I mean, I can, I can be honest and say, there are some guys that are still my friends now that, that were third phase recruits, you know, ghost phase recruits. And, and they got in my car and it was a very frank conversation of, listen, uh, you don't need to learn how to drive. So I'm going to drive. You don't need to learn how to do this, this, and this, because you've already been doing it for this long and watch, observe, and I'll treat you like my partner and good, bad, or otherwise, you know, we, we did some, we did some things we probably shouldn't have done as, as recruiting FPO, but, uh, they got some experience out of it. And, uh, but I, my give a shit was at zero. I, I didn't care. I was like hoping, Oh, please tell me you're going to pull me off of this assignment and not have me, have me do it anymore. But that never happened. Yeah. I, I think this is a good conversation. We're going to keep kind of going with the FTO thing because I, and I can't speak for every FTO program, but I feel that, and, and maybe it's gotten better in the year I've been out. I don't know. But I feel like the FTO program is too scripted. Like we would do dumb shit like, oh, you're, you're in second phase. Don't ask your FTO a question. Go use your resources. Yeah. Fucking shit. Just, yeah. You're in the car with them. Just answer the guy's fucking question. Yeah. You know, you well, may be like, hey, dude, if, if I wasn't here, who could you go to? All right. The problem solved. Now we don't have to go way out of our way to do something weird. Just help the guy. It, I always thought that was the weirdest shit ever. It, you know what it is? And, and I saw this as I was, as I was getting out. Uh, I watched. I watched FTOs that heard stories about guys back in my day or even older than that, telling stories about what happened when they were in FTO. And don't get me wrong. You know, back in the day, I didn't have a phone in my pocket to where I could look at a map. I didn't have GPS on my MDC. I didn't have any of that. And literally I had to learn about paper map. And and so my old crusty FTO, whenever I got lost, would have me get out of the car and go walk back to the nearest sign, right? And I get that shit. But I also understand that today's a different world. And some of that probably needs to taper off a little bit because it's not necessarily that it's useless information, but you're going to lose your audience. You're going to lose that. I'm not going to say the M word or the Z word. But <laughs> you're, Don't worry. We're going to talk about them <laughs> motherfuckers later, <laughs> but you're going to lose those guys by being a shithead to them because they're going to be like, Hey, my mom didn't even fucking talk to me that way. Right. So why, why, why should I, why should I care that you're going to talk to me that way? And the reality is, those guys don't give a shit because they're not long. They're not tenured. They're not going to do 20 and skate. They're going to be here for five, three, find a better paying gig and go on. Or, you know, they're going to get out because law enforcement's not for everybody and shit, dude, who wants to go to work when everybody hates you? Yeah, that's, that's fucking real, dude. What, this was something I, I had kind of later into the podcast, but since we're here, um, so what year did you start? I started in 97. Oh man, look at you. So, uh, I was 12. Um, yeah, fuck you. <laughs> so what are your, what are your thoughts? So like when you were on, you had basically probably the old crusty dudes with the baby boomers, the actual boomers, actual, um, yeah, the actual boomers you had. And then you had, you know, the gen Xers in 
generationally, what kind of changes have you seen in, in law enforcement as far as, I guess, just the, um, God, I don't even know where to start with this, but the, like even the attitude or just like the um, camaraderie within departments and shit like that. So uh, look at it from this perspective. So back in the day, um, we'll look at boomers and everybody that's listening to this can, can, can look at somebody they know as a boomer that was a positive or was some sort of a manly influence in their life, be it grandpa, be it dad, whatever. They look back and they may go, that motherfucker was full on solid, took care of shit, didn't ask questions, didn't ask for help, just handled shit, right? So when I got into it, those were the guys that were on the street. And those are the guys teaching me how to do my job. And that's where, and Gen, Gen X, because that's my generation, we, we were also on the tail end of that where, you know, this is not a pity party, but I went to school with a key around my neck and from like kindergarten, my whole career, my whole school career. So I, Gen X kind of raised themselves and that's basically what happened. So Gen X and boomers made shit happen and figured it out. And we didn't necessarily need someone to say good job, right? Because we were like, fuck you. We don't need you to tell me that. But Gen X or Gen X and boomers that had kids later on in life, like I didn't have my kids till I was way late, you know, well past 25. And we started, you know, being the helicopter parents, you know, we started telling, oh, well, we're going to give you shit that we didn't have. And then we raised the millennials and the Gen Zs. And it's our fault that, that you needed positive reinforcement, right? Yeah, it's your fault, so, asshole. It is tell- 100%. It is. Can you tell me I'm doing a good job, please? You are. You're doing a great job. The Thank podcast you. is fantastic. It is Thank unique. You. Thank you. You're a snowflake. <laughs> <laughs> but no, seriously, I mean, we fucked it up. And and so those guys got into the job because they heard their dad's stories of what it was. My dad told me stories about what it was. And my friend's dad's told me stories about what it was. And so we got into it thinking that even the even the uh, Gen Xers got into the job thinking it was something different than what it was. And, and I'm here to tell you that what has happened is it has become more separated. It's not the football team of, you know, varsity blues. It's not that kind of camaraderie. It's more of, you know, let me get mine. Let me make myself something. And if we happen to make friends and we happen to become partners, great. If not, it's okay because I'm not attached to this. And that's what it appears to me. And, and as an administrator trying to hire and do retention, that's what I started to see is if I don't have sparkly shit to offer you and I need it because our, our department, maybe it sucks a little, or the town is rough. Uh, I'm going to lose you. And I know that. And there's nothing I can say that's going to keep you. So that's where it kind of changed. The guys I got in with were 20 year guys. Uh, you know, I didn't do 20 at the same agency. I tried to progress, uh, but the guys before me definitely in to win at, you know, and tell some of those guys are doing 30 years. Yeah, it's a it's definitely a different environment. And it's interesting, man, you brought up a ton of great shit. So <laughs> sorry. No, no, don't be sorry. It's great, man. Um, the helicopter parent thing. That's an interesting thing that you brought up. I feel like I lucked out. And this is just me personally. And maybe some other people can empathize. My dad worked all the goddamn time and I hardly ever saw him. Yeah. Not bitter about that. Um, but my mom stayed home. My dad did all that. So my mom could stay home. So I didn't, 
I didn't grow up with that. Like I grew up with kind of, I don't want to say like a normal childhood because whose childhood is normal. Yeah. Um, by the way, that's, that's a fucking thing is, is um, every parent has a, a huge failure somehow in their regard. Like you brought up and you said it and I was like, fuck, I am so guilty of this is, well, I want to give my kids shit that I never had. I buy yeah. my kids so much fucking shit. They have so much fucking shit and they don't play with any of it. But fuck, no. man, if we go to the store and they're like, hey, I really like this. I'm going to say no. But then I'm like, uh, they like it. And I never had anything like this. So I'm going to do this. It's right. <laughs> I don't I'm just, look, man, I, I've, I've professed many times on not a perfect parent, but it it's kind of just, it's interesting hearing these like a different perspective on all that. And that, that really made me think. Um, so thanks to you, I'm not going to buy my kids anything anymore. So thank you. Hey, your, your kids therapist will love it. Yeah. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Good shit though. So, so now with these newer generations of cops, so correct me if I'm wrong, but like nineties, early two thousands were the police departments a lot more tight as far as like the guys and the gals working there. Yeah, man. Choir practice is a thing. It, it really was. Uh, you know, we'd get we'd get off work at, you know, I work nights. So we work 12s. A lot of agencies in Texas were 12s and we were every other weekend off kind of thing. But yeah, we'd get off at 6 a.m. And we all knew the spot in town where day shift knew night shift would be. And, you know, we go out there and, and maybe knock back a 12 pack or so because, somebody's wife was super cool and dropped the cooler off in the back of somebody's truck. So we'd have it in the morning. Right. So that was a thing. And it wasn't, it wasn't an everyday thing, but it was actually a thing. There were shift parties. You would go, usually the sergeant would host in my agency, the, the sergeant would host. I posted them, you know, you have the whole group over. I remember there was a time and this will be very specific to some folks, but I remember I, I, uh, I bought some knives, man. I bought custom knives, not really custom knives, but I customized them by having some etchings into them, but I gave them to our shift because we had a hell of a year and, you know, that was a thing. I don't even know if that existed. No, I, I feel like at least at my agency, there was kind of this unspoken thing that you give your, um, you know, you give your sergeant a gift, like the team would get together and give the sergeant a gift. And then he would usually give, something out to his team that was a cool i will say that was a pretty cool thing about my agency is i have some pretty cool shit that sergeants gave me that is very unique and like is kind of irreplaceable in my mind yeah. so at least that kind of shit still exists in, in some places i don't know if that i obviously i can't speak for everywhere yeah i can't either i mean i am with you i think you know we we all we how can i put it most sergeants lieutenants captains people of rank they go through this transitional process and everybody says it's when they forget where they came from and all that bullshit. But the reality is there's a different view of the organization as you move up. And, and, and some guys out there will be able to test it. And other people say it's bullshit, but um, the reality is that the trust that supervisors, administrators have in their line officers is blind. It's a blind trust. I trust that that shithead that I just hired He's going to go out there and do the best job he can. And most of the time, sergeants really do a great job of showing they actually care. Most of the time, I, and I can't speak for all of them, but most of the time they, they give a shit. And it's that servant leadership stuff. And, and if you Google that, you'll go off in a rabbit trail and never come back. But 
it, but your line sergeants, your frontline supervisors, those guys get it. And those guys understand it. And, and that's where, unfortunately, a lot of a lot of it stops, man. And after that, the view changes. And, and so that camaraderie doesn't necessarily come from the chief down or from the lieutenant down or captain or whatever you call them. So, um, yeah, man, uh, I'm glad to hear that that at least has been going on for a little while. You know, uh, I tried to do it up until, you know, I didn't. And then. I didn't realize that I had stopped doing that kind of stuff until it was too late. I was retiring. You know what I mean? Yeah. I want to, I want to jump kind of back into that, but before we do that, you worked a bunch of the different ranks. What was your favorite rank? Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. I'll say it was two, it was two ranks. It was Sergeant, definitely Sergeant, uh, probably the, the most fun I've ever had uh, besides an FTO was as a Sergeant. I mean, it was, it was so, it was so fun. Um, as a patrol sergeant, especially because, you know, you get that recruit, Hey man, you know, and I had one and he said, Hey Sarge, you know, heard you used to be the thing. And I was like, what? Well, I mean, I heard you used to be something out there on the street. I'm like, hold on a second, son. Are you calling me out? He's like, I mean, I, I haven't heard you on the radio lately. So, I mean, I don't know if you still got it in you. And, uh, and so he called me out. So I sent everybody out on the road, grabbed the shittiest car on the fleet, it was the first traffic stop I made, turned into a little chase, turned into a foot pursuit, turned into a barricaded person. And I ended up fracturing some ribs. He fell through the ceiling. And it was one of those things at the end of the night, he's like, Sarge, if you never come out of this office, that'll be all right with me. Now, when you said he fell through the ceiling, the cop or the bad guy? The cop, because he was upstairs. <laughs> He was, he was upstairs doing a final sweep in the attic and he fell literally, literally fell through into the living room. I believe that's karma. Good, sir. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because I'm going to tell you that night was, I got out, uh, my, my number. And it was like, you know, 410 traffic followed by 410, go ahead. 410, 410. Then I was like, uh, 410, send me everything you got. I got one barricade. Like that was the radio traffic. And, uh, when they all got there, they're like, what do you got? And I'm like explaining to him what I had. And it was, it was an interesting night nonetheless, but, uh, he, he never called me out after that, but, uh, we're still friends to this day. And I know he's, he's a damn good cop, but, uh, I'll always laugh because as a Sergeant, that's hilarious. Yeah. That's fucking funny, man. The uh, chances of you pulling the right car over to you, man, that's, that's amazing. Dude, it was a it was a rolling stop, and I was like, you know what, I'm gonna knock it down because, you know how it is. You get out there, and if you don't make that stop first couple hours of your shift, you kind of have a shitty shift. So I knocked it down. I was like, hey, I'll just knock him down. I was I was looking at a warning. I was at least because I'm not I'm a sergeant, dude. I'm not gonna get out there and get into some shit. And lo and behold, he decided to run. Ultimately, that guy had his infant in the backseat of this little van it was like a honda van and he ran home bailed out left the kid in the van and then went in the house and i did that fresh pursuit through the door thing mm -hmm. and that's where i hurt the ribs we got into what i like to describe as a, like a jackie chan slap box kind of contest in the living room and he was reaching for me i was reaching for him but nobody was really making contact we've all been in those so, yeah <laughs> so i ultimately i just grabbed my taser and I went to tase him and I hear this voice in the living room, you know, don't tase my dad. And I look over and there's this little kid. I'm like, holy shit. I said, Hey, just go across the street and call 911. And, uh, so then 
I, I try to tase him. I don't hit him. I do the, the cartridge change, electrify the shit out of my hand. I get that other cartridge in there, but he bails off into the master bedroom and then moves a uh, bureau in front of the door. So we're stuck at that point. And that's when I get on the radio. I'm like, hey, send me everything you got. But, you know, it, it, it was it was a great case. I mean, we had some dope in the car. He had left the kid unattended. There was a kid in the bathtub. I mean, it was your standard shit show. And, you know, by the end of the night, like I was busy doing paperwork the rest of the night because, you know, you step in it, you clean it. Right. So um, it was a good night, but uh, probably one of the best memories as a sergeant I have. That's a fucking amazing story. So you said there was two ranks that you liked the most. What was the second one? Um, the chief deputy rank. And, uh, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> I'll tell you why. <laughs> All right, so, man. I'm, I'm holding my breath here. <laughs> so honestly, as, so as a chief deputy, basically you look at it as an assistant chief or whatever, but I made the grass grow, right? I made, I, I was there to make the department run. Wait, are I you Tim McGraw? Is it you? Right. Yeah, it's me, buddy. I, I am for the three people that happen. got the joke, by the way. There is nobody else that got that joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just me. I'm, you know, I got that song stuck in my head. But anyway, go ahead. So we, uh, the best part of it was empowerment. I went into an organization as the chief deputy where they were in turmoil and shit was, was jacked up. And you had people that, that were in positions that wanted to truly lead and be something. Uh, and for me, that was just like being an FTO. I had the opportunity to train captains, to train dispatch supervisors, to train jail commanders, uh, and give them the influence that I wished most agencies would give, uh, you know, empower them to make decisions and, and, and literally go, here's the deal. You, you were getting paid for this rank, make the decision. And if you fuck it up, it's okay. We can try again. Like it's real simple. There's a few, few things you need to think about. Is it legal? Is it moral? Is it ethical? And if it makes the newspaper, is it going to be okay? Is it something that we can fade the heat on? After those four are answered in the affirmative, move on, handle your business. And these people became great leaders. And for me, that was that was probably the best part of it, just watching people grow. And obviously, now you can tell kind of why I, I transitioned into the life after law enforcement that I did, because you know I get my rocks off with helping people and 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 helping them become the best version of themselves, right? Absolutely, man. So that brought up two points. I'll probably forget one of them, but the one I wanted to hit was, was there ever a point where you were accused as a, as you know, high ranking officer uh, by your line level guys saying, Hey man, you forgot where you came from. You know, you, you don't remember how it was or how it is on the street. Nobody, nobody ever said that to me. Uh, and, and, but they did say that about me. Uh, if that makes any sense. So there were guys that when I was a, a chief that, that said, I didn't get it or I didn't understand what they were going through, or I didn't see what they saw. And so I would bring it up in supervisor meetings, or I'd bring it up in state of the office meetings, you know, where you kind of have an opportunity to talk to patrol. We've all been there where they're talking shit about somebody specific, but they never say the name. And so I, I, I would use that opportunity to say, let me explain to you that what you see in your world as a patrol officer, as a line officer, 
versus what I see, even as a patrol captain or a patrol chief, um, is totally different. You see your perspective in your world as that line officer, and then your sergeant or your corporal sees it is his world and the three or four or five people that he supervises. And then the lieutenant sees it in his world and then the 10 or 12 or 15 people he supervises. All those people have a complaint and all those people have something that's important to them. And as you go up the ranks and you finally make it up to the chief, you've got a guy who's listening to every single complaint and he has to prioritize what's important. And sadly, making those decisions when it comes to dollars and cents and all that bullshit makes people think you forgot where you came from. And the reality is I didn't forget where I came from. My perspective has changed. And it's, it's a broader perspective. There's more involvement than you, than you know. And that's what it boiled down to. And is that a good excuse? I don't know if it's a good excuse or not, but I, what I tried to do was explain it because I always felt that if my line officers knew what the fuck was going on, then I had a better shot of buy-in. If, if I could tell them stuff, I told them stuff. Obviously, IAs and stuff like that, you can't talk about that, dude. I can't, I can't throw shade on somebody who's going through some stuff. Regardless of how wrong they were, it's, it's, it's not cool. It's unprofessional to throw shade on them until it's all said and done. So I can't talk about it. So literally, yeah, all you've got is all the rumors of everybody talking shit. And nobody knows it, but who? IA, the person who did it, and the chief. That's got to make a decision on punishment. Now, I wanted to, let me see how I want to articulate this. So, <laughs> oh man, it was like right on the tip of the, my tongue and the, momentarily I get distracted and here we are. So, <laughs> I'm of the opinion, and you brought up something that is a good point and I appreciate the point of trying to explain it. I don't like and maybe this is me being a millennial, but the, the secretive nature of shit that probably doesn't need to be super secretive. I totally get IAs. I totally get this and that, but it, I can only speak for my department, but I, I just felt like there was this wall where we weren't sharing information where even if something, I don't agree with something, if I actually knew what was going on or knew the thought process or whatever was going on, it would probably make things easier because it's, it's very easy as a line level officer, which I, I was never, that was it. I was only beat cop. That's all I did. It's really easy for me to fucking, you know, shake my fist at the sky at the ivory tower where the chiefs sit and be pissed off about a bunch of shit. Right. Um, but the problem is, is I think there's some responsibility on the chiefs when they know morale is bad to actually come out and address things, but also for guys to feel like there isn't a fear of retaliation. If we ask a question that isn't, we ask a question that maybe is confrontational or that maybe doesn't come off as nice and polite because we want answers and just to be able to talk. I like that, you know, as when your position, you, you try to explain things to guys and gals and that I think is, and I don't know how many fucking administrators listen to the podcast, but we don't understand. We don't understand. And maybe we'll disagree. But if you can tell us and it's not going to compromise something, try to explain it to us. Be, you know, actually have that open door 
So if somebody has a question, they can come ask and not fear that, you know, oh, I asked this question, I'm going to be in trouble. I think yeah. the problem, but I, sorry, man, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I think the problem with some of that though is there's always that guy that ruins it. Yes. You know, it's, there's going to be a guy that has an open door and says, hey, come in, ask me anything. And there's going to be some dude that will come in and ask the dumbest fucking questions where, because we've all seen it in the service and training classes, right? That dude exists in every department, probably a couple of them. And they're going to go in and they're going to basically ruin that, that open door because the chief's like, this is fucking stupid. I'm not going to, I don't have time to talk to this guy about this dumbest shit that's ever happened on earth. Like, I don't care about your call for service, dude. Like you're, you're a paid professional. You can handle it kind yeah. of thing. Like, but at the same time, I think officers need to be able to go in and say, Hey, I don't understand this. Can you help me understand this? Or, you know, my agency, uh, I, I felt like we weren't allowed to do police work, but they basically kind of like crawled and hid and sent some emails out. Emails yeah. are dog shit. Don't send me fucking emails. Come to briefings. Yeah. Well, so in my day, they would give you a memo. We'd, we'd catch memos in our, in our inbox. Uh, and then we would get emails. And, and the, I've sent those emails. And uh, I've also uh, had somebody come into my office and ask me a, a line of ridiculous questions. And I've tried to level with them and explain to them the best I possibly can that what you need to consider when, when you're asking things specifically about IA stuff, um, you need to understand the liability that the department has, especially in either a strong union or in Texas, we have a strong association uh, kind of mindset. So there's, there is usually some collective bargaining involved and there's some other issues that the association or unions have that influence some of the decisions made at the top. And those are, I'm not going to talk shit or I'm not even going to put anything out because I don't want to be misconstrued about what is going on on this IA. That's why they don't say anything. However, Big comma. I've also seen departments that ironically leak shit. Have you ever seen those where? Oh, I worked you know, at one. So, so somebody worked at one where all the shit was supposed to be confidential and everybody fucking knew what was going on. It, yes. it was ridiculous. But it was what? It was, it was, it was a collective narrative that was orchestrated by administration or whatever the case might be. But it, it, and that's probably way too far if I ever want to work in this business again. But the, the reality is this, when it comes to personnel and it comes to, you know, what they've done and what kind of punishment they're going to get, man, we got to be really tight lipped on that stuff because ultimately attendance, performance, and conduct, right? So those three things are, are your big hangups. If you're going to look to look at disciplinary action and go, Hey man, what, gosh, you know, I don't want to let this guy go or God, this guy's got to go. Attendance, performance, and conduct are going to be those things, right? And outside of that, it's all hearsay, conjecture, and rumor, and speculation, whatever you want to call it. It's, it's somebody's fucking opinion, bro. So it's, it's very difficult to talk about to a line officer who's got two years in and goes, what the fuck's going on with Tommy? And you're like, mind your business, you know? And that's uh, honestly, that's the way it should be. That's the way it fucking should be. I, I, I don't know if anybody, I don't really care if anybody disagrees with me on that. <laughs> That's the way it should be. And, you know, you either have people leaking it because, A, they don't like that guy or whatever. And it just yeah. causes strife because 
we've all played the telephone game, right? Where somebody tells somebody else and then it changes a little bit and the a little bit where like maybe the guy had an IA for, you know, he, he cursed at somebody or something, which is a shitty reason to have an IA, bad example, but he cursed at yeah. grandma, right? And by the end of it, by it gets to the 600th member of the department, it's like, oh, did you hear uh, Tommy fucked, you know, so-and-so's sister? Yes. Like it has, and you know, everything is completely lost. So that, to me, that's on the people that reported it or the people yeah. that are on IA that are fucking spread open in their goddamn mouth. Like, and it gives you no yeah. faith as an officer. Like, fuck, if I'm, I get into something that should be a confidential matter. Yep. The, the fucking whole place is going to know it. Oh, absolutely. And, 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 and the reality is uh, I, I had to learn this the hard way when I was chief deputy at the sheriff's office. Who do, who do I, who do I vent to? Who do I bitch to? Right. I can't complain to the sheriff about the sheriff. <laughs> and and I, I can't, I damn sure shouldn't complain to the, the captain or the lieutenants about the sheriff. Right. That's bitching down. You never, you, you should never do that. Do we? Absolutely. We do it. Should we do it? Absolutely not. So uh, I got stuck, bro. I mean, I really got stuck. I got stuck in a funk where I was dealing with stresses coming upstream and downstream and I was the middle, you know, I was the pivot man. Right. And uh, never it, use that term again, by the way, because <laughs> I won't. I won't. Just, hey, if it brought back bad memories, I apologize. It's, <laughs> it's just one of those one of those things where, you know, you're stuck in the middle and it it's a horrible feeling. And, uh, but when it comes to IAs and it comes to those things, they've got to know that, that they can't be venting to, you know, linemen, you, you, as an internal affairs investigator, you should not be having a conversation, especially an, an open conversation with anybody because it, you know, it's going to go somewhere, dude. It's just like everybody that I know, every agency that I've ever been into, there's a fucking eight and a half by 11 piece of paper that somebody printed off and put on dispatch's door that says, stay the fuck out of dispatch. And it's everywhere. It, but what happens? Everybody ends up banging a dispatcher. So it doesn't work. I just want to so throw that, out there because my wife listens to this. I did oh. not bang a dispatcher ever. <laughs> and I'll, I'll preface that with nor I, because I have a feeling I don't want to listen to it now, but uh, no, I, but, but, you know, you've seen the sign. We've all seen the sign and it's, it sits out in front of dispatch to stay out of dispatch. So I, I don't know why they gets out there. It does. People talk shit and we're all friends. People promote differently. So my confidant may still be in patrol, but I may be a lieutenant and we're having beers at my house. I'm like, dude, Tommy fucked up. And then he goes back and he's just like, Oh dude, Tommy's fucked. You know, I don't, I don't know a solution. Do you? No, man. I well, no, I do. I have a fucking perfect solution. Be a goddamn professional. Follow the me copper. for more advice. <laughs> okay, no, right. so you're, the cop, right. the, the IA investigator really shouldn't say anything. But if the cop, if he fucking tells his friend about it, which I don't think he yeah. should, that guy should keep his goddamn mouth shut. But the problem is, is they're not going to. That's that's a true statement. They're not going to. And it, like, I think you put one, a meme out the other day, dude, is it the PD or is in high school? Yeah, dude. And that's that's something that has to fucking change. We're supposed to be professionals. We're supposed to. One of my favorite memes that I've ever made is. I don't, all right. Do you guys have briefings or had any work anywhere where you had a briefing? Oh, yeah. Okay. 
assigned chairs. Like there's this unspoken <laughs> fucking rule about assigned chairs. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you right now, I would get so pissed off if some fucker sat in my chair. Yes. Even though it's not my chair. It's not my chair. I don't own that chair. Anybody's free to sit in that chair. But I would get so mad. So one of my favorite memes from a long time ago, and I still got mad about this even after I made this meme, was basically like Happy Gilmore, you know, where he's he's pointing at the clown at the putt-putt golf place, going, you're going to die, clown. But, you know, yeah. the first caption is something along the lines of, you know, cops where, you know, we solve other people's problems, we're professional, um, all that good shit. And then the bottom line is like also cops when somebody sits in their chair briefing. Yes. Look, we're human uh- beings. Like we're, <laughs> it's going to, shit's going to happen, right? Like we're not perfect, but we got to be better, man. I don't know. I don't know what else to say. No, it's a, what do they say? Somebody said it recently to me, uh, cops are allergic to change. Like there is a 100% anaphylactic response when you change some shit for cops. If it's changing a policy, if it's changing the way we do things, everybody's going to look at each other and go, what the fuck? And that's just the way it goes. Yeah. Oh yeah, Absolutely. You said something earlier that I, I wanted to jump on. And I was going to bring up this later, but I, I think it, it works into this conversation is you said as a deputy chief, or I'm sorry, a deputy, or I don't even what the fuck you said. Um, yeah. Deputy chief. Okay. Deputy chief at the sheriff's department that your perception changes or, or it's broadened. You see different things. Yeah. I've kind of been working on this theory and don't like, look, I'm not like a fucking uh, philosopher or anything. <laughs> but okay. we've all been there where we say I or at least I have I feel like I live on a different planet than a lot of other people do you ever feel that way yes yes very much so my theory is is we all live in different realities on the same earth but we all have these different realities of what the truth is or whatever and and it might change and it's very very different. And I think the way for different people and the way the world is right now with everything going on is we all have these way different versions of the truth. And, and as a cop, you have the, the old saying, right? Like what you said, what they said and what actually happened. Yeah. But you know, now there's this multiverse and I haven't seen Spider-Man, so don't spoil it assholes, but <laughs> there's this multiverse of all these different thoughts and perceptions and ideas and we all kind of have our different realities. So, and I'm not, I don't want this to sound like I'm a defending bad admin because there's definitely some bad administrators, but I think cops have to also note, like it is a different job and there's things out there related to law enforcement that maybe you're not an expert on, or you don't understand, or you don't have the expertise on that. There's more to it. There's always more to everything. And we have to be, you know, law enforcement on the line level. You have to be open to that. There's other shit going on. But on the same hand, an admin has to be, you know, kind of, you know, we don't, I don't think admin has to like tell officers every day, like, hey, this is what I did today. So you know what I'm doing. That's, that's fucking dog shit. But admin has to be more receptive to just kind of giving guys a better idea of what, what they see and what they're dealing in, what, and all of that good stuff. So maybe there's this better understanding of it. You know, I, I think you're, you're spot on. And I, and I'll tell you, it's, you're, you're going to, obviously you're going to make me out to be an administrator after this statement. It is, um, it is communication through regulation. 
basically the only time you hear about what I'm doing, uh, or I'm sorry, not me, but uh, most administrators, the only time you ever really hear about what they're doing is when that new directive comes out, the new policy comes out, the policy tweak comes out. Uh, and then you're like, what the hell is this all about? Right. And then that's the only time that you're going to get told about what it is, why it is, and why we have to change to make it happen. You're, you're not going to see the conversations that I had or, or the, you know, what the state, usually any state has a great time doing, and especially the federal government, is unfunded mandates where, you know, they mandate, we change the way we do things in law enforcement. Me as the chief administrator, especially if I'm the chief or the sheriff in Texas anyway, uh, you're ultimately responsible. So now I've got to make all these changes happen. So I'm held under the scrutiny of the state and our rate, our licensing body here, here in Texas. But so you'll never see that stuff. And the only time you ever hear about it, unfortunately, is through the regulation of it, which means I just now handed you a policy. Now you have to adhere to it. Um, that also, I think it's. I think it's important that we all understand that communication is important, but there is a certain amount of mind your own business that comes into play. And I don't mean that in a negative. I mean it like this. When I was a CID sergeant, even a patrol sergeant, I used to tell my guys, because I'm down here by the, around Dallas, but I used to tell them, you know, I'm, I'm Daryl the Moose Johnson. Okay. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to block for Emmett Smith. That's how old I am. And Dude, that wasn't that long ago. I remember Edmund Smith. I had fucking his jersey, dude. I loved Emmett Smith. And I was a fucking Broncos fan, dude. <laughs> so you get it. So what I'm telling him was, hey, if you stamp, if you follow me, I'll get you your 100-yard game. But you got to stay behind me and let me protect you. If you step out of line and get your ass knocked out, that's on you. And, and unfortunately, that only goes so far until I have to start telling people what I'm doing. And, and the only way you're going to get people to follow you is if they trust you. The only way you're going to build trust is through honesty and vulnerability. And that means literally having those conversations with your line level officers the best that you can. But where's the median? Where's the, where's the line? You know, what, how much is too much and, and how much is not enough? Yeah, I think that's very delicate balance. And uh, as a millennial, which by the way, I um, because I'm a millennial, millennial and I can make up because I'm a millennial and I can make up what I, whatever I want to make up, I identify as a Gen Xer. So we're, we're one in the same <laughs> pal, but you brought up the whole vulnerability thing. And that was, you know, harping back to our early conversation about like the boomer cops. I'm sure you didn't get that shit from them back in the day. Right. There was no <laughs> vulnerability. No, fuck no, dude. Hey, I'm telling you, it was a game to see if they can make you cry. Grown ass men. Um, no, they never, they never showed a vulnerable side. I'll tell you what, I was friends. I was friends with one of my FTOs up until he passed away several years ago and he had, he had retired. He's one of those guys. He'd done almost 50 years, 40 some odd years. And he retired. He was retired for a handful of years and died. Like that's it. That that's like know. the story of cops, unfortunately. Yeah. And, and this guy would have never when I was riding in the car with him ever been vulnerable, you know, like never be weak or show weakness or show the fact that he felt anything. Um, as he got later on in his years and I moved up in ranks and, and we had time to have 
grown people conversations. Uh, he started to show that side of himself and it was, it was a unique time for me. I was like, what the fuck are you doing, dude? But it, it shows that if you make it okay to, to have those conversations, then they'll have the conversations. Right. Which is exactly, you know, it's the same thing with suicide. It's the same thing with PTS. It's the same thing with, um, you know, depression in law enforcement nowadays. It's, it's all the same thing. If, if we make the, the conversation comfortable, we'll have the conversation. So the fact that my old FTO, the crusty old bastard that he was, felt like he was okay to have that vulnerable conversation with me, then we would have that conversation. So it was a building of trust. And I think administrators can do that. I don't know how they're going to do it, though. They got a long way to go, especially with everything going on in law enforcement. I wanted to build off of the the vulnerability thing a little bit, which I didn't expect we would be doing, but here we are. <laughs> right? Men yeah. Talking right. about vulnerability. Yeah. Hey, let me tell you about my feelings. But there's yeah. a balance, right? Where I think everything is has gone, and I've said this a lot on this podcast: is everything goes way too far one way or way too far the other way, and it doesn't doesn't seem like the pendulum ever like the metronome never fucking comes in the middle, right? You can't get it finely tuned enough. And there was two recent memes I saw that kind of spoke to me as far as like the difference in the generations, right? One was a video where it was basically like the guy's applying for the job as a baby boomer. And he's like, Hey, look, I'm going to work 40 years for you. I'm never going to take a day off, um, but I'm going to need some time off after 40 years because I'm going to drop dead. Okay. Obviously we're way too far on the other end. Right. And then the other end of it, he, you know, he's playing like the Gen Z millennial guy and he's like, Hey, I can start in a month, um, but I'm really stressed out. So I need, you know, a month to kind of cool off and I need to go on vacation first and I can only work four days a week and all this shit. Right. Yeah. So there's okay. Obviously that's not okay either, but we can't seem to like cross to like where it's, it's okay. Um, where it's in the middle of it. And the other meme that I saw, which is kind of dark, but it was basically like one half of it was like, Hey man, I'm feeling kind of sad. I'm suicidal. And they're like, Oh my God, we'll help you and all this stuff. Right. And that's like now where it was like, you know, 30 years ago, it was just like a picture with a guy with his, a cartoon with his head blown off because yeah. people just wouldn't talk about it. They would just do it. So, you know, as much as people shit on the newer generations and I do, I shit on them all the time. I'm ashamed of my generation. <laughs> um, we did, I think we are doing something right as far as bringing mental health to the forefront where people at least talk about it. And I, I think cops, we get into the, such a callous place about mental health and suicides. I, I don't know about you and fuck, maybe I'm calling myself out. I know I'm not the only one to have this thought, but you go to the call for like a suicidal party and you have this thought. I'm only here because they're not actually going to do it. If they were going to do it, they wouldn't tell anybody and they would just do it. Is that ever a thought you had on a call? I, I don't think I've, I've had that one. I've had the, I've got to figure out, does this person want to witness? You know what I mean? Uh, I've, I've, I've oh, yeah, I've had a, those too. Yeah, I've, I've answered a ton of, of those calls. And, and, and I come from a different angle. Uh, you know, there, suicide is, has been in my family. And I'm not saying that to make any any bones about it because it's still a shitty thing all the way around but whenever i get that call um you know a suicidal subject uh i immediately started thinking okay 
Uh, we're going to get there. And if somebody's talking to them right now, hopefully they're still talking to them by the time we get there. And hopefully whatever means they chose was, I'm just going to take a fistful of aspirin or a fistful of ibuprofen and I'm going to go get them some help. Right. Uh, but I'm with you. The only time that you get the call is usually when they're not going to do it and not, Hey, I came over and so-and-so's dead. Yeah. And you articulate it better than I meant because I would have these calls and I worked in a bigger agency and we went to a lot of those and it was, don't get me wrong. Like we went to some of that were active, but you can kind of tell by the call notes generally, not always, you have to prepare for them. Like they're legit every single time. But so I don't want anybody like, you know, walking into a call with their hands in their pockets. Cause they're like, this is bullshit. You can't do that. Even if you think it's bullshit, you have to be prepared. So don't, don't hear me say that I thought it was bullshit and I went in unprepared. I don't want to give anybody bad advice, but you go into these calls and you're like reading the notes. You're like, okay, we're basically, we're going to get there, talk to them. Okay. Have an ambulance, take them to the hospital. That's it. Ambulance. I pronounced that very oddly. Um, or, or Amber lamps is what I said. Amber lamps. Amber lamps. <laughs> but, but then, but then you'd have these calls where you're like, oh yeah, they're going to be dead by the time I get there based on the call or, yeah. or frequently, you know, it's like, Hey, we found our neighbor. There was no sign of anything wrong. Like there's this whole thing where, you know, you see, I've had guys send me messages and, you know, you've seen it, you know, reading media about like, oh, we had no idea, no idea. And that's the ones that are fucking scary because there's, there's really no warning, right? Like, cause everybody can act. Everybody can put on a show. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, like something happens, you're like, fuck. And then you start thinking about it and you're like, oh shit. And then you, you put it on yourself as like, I miss the fucking warning signs. This is on me, which is not. Well, but, I, I'll tell you that, that, that kind of survivor's guilt is tough, bro. We, we had a case where, um, there was this affluent, uh, female and, uh, Dude, she was she was killing it, man. She she was on top of the world in her profession. She she was friendly with everyone in town. Uh, you know, everybody liked her, that kind of thing, right? And I remember one of my officers. Remember the the call came out. I remember my phone rang. I was CID sergeant at the time. Phone rang, and I got the call. And uh, I said, "Well, I'm just gonna I'm gonna send the on call detective, and then he'll advise me if you know we need to come out for crime scene things like that." Because it was one of those. It was like, hey, we, we went over to so-and-so's house and they're dead. Uh, detectives got there and read the suicide note. And the suicide note was one of those eerie ass, hey, this is nobody's fault, you know, long dissertation about how they just weren't happy with life and this is their choice. And that's it, bro. And nobody could wrap their head around why she did it or what did they miss in conversations? What What is it that they could have done different? And the reality is suicides, man, the, the, the biggest thing about a suicide that I've ever come across in my career is there's always unanswered questions and all you've got to formulate any kind of answer is your fucked up mind. And the reality is it's probably not even what you think it is. And there's probably nothing you could have done and it's not your fault, but we're human, right? And we all have to have something to blame, right? I step on a Lego in the middle of the night. It's not my fault. It's my kid's fault, 
if I stubbed my toe because I didn't turn the light on, it's not my fault because the couch moved and I didn't know it. <laughs> so that kind of shit. So yeah, suicide sucks, man. Dude, this is like off topic, but I think it's worthy of bringing up. I feel like we're in this weird time in our society where we're very like pro mental health and getting people help and doing all that shit. But now we're like normalizing suicide and there's all kinds of States and countries that have assisted suicide. And, and I'm not talking about like, honestly, like the whole medical thing and people are in pain. I, I get that, I guess. Um, I don't, I wouldn't necessarily, but I get why people would, that, I get it. But you, you know, where people would kill themselves and they'd be like, well, you know, you don't understand. And it's, I get it. We don't understand. Like life don't dude. Life is fucking hard. Life is the hardest thing you'll go through. Yeah. Right? 100%. yeah. Um, but I mean, the, the people you will leave behind that's, there's no recovering from that there for them. To me, suicide is a very selfish act. It, you know what? And, and, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to beat your ass for a second. (laughs) So here's the deal. So yes, you're, you're 100% correct, dude. Suicide is a selfish act, but I want you to, I want you to hear something and I want you to just, uh, maybe, maybe I'll say something tonight that you haven't heard before. Yeah, dude. Uh, I'm here. That's what we're here for, man. No, no, no doubt. So suicide is this way. So imagine this, imagine if you were put in a situation that you saw there was not a single decision that you could make, okay? Because this is your state of mind. Hear me out. This is your state of mind. And the position that you're in right now, the way you feel, the what you feel around you, what you perceive around you, all of these things is surrounding you. And you think to yourself, there is no fucking way I can get out of this. Or I can make this better without causing pain to all of these people that I love that are going to be mad at me when I'm not here. But I am a burden. And and my problem is so huge that I can't do it alone, but I can't bear to burden these people with this problem. So the only true solution that I can think of that would be beneficial for myself and for all of these people that I care about is if I just eliminate myself from the equation, right? So I want you to hear that, and I want you to think about it this way. You are in a position in your perception that there is no alternative that doesn't cause damage to those around you that you love and care for. And so I'll ask you this in a sane mindset, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but I want you to think about this on a normal mindset. Is there a situation ever, guy with a gun, guy with a bomb, whatever, where you don't even hesitate to jump on that bad guy to take the bullet, to take the bomb, to take whatever horrible, horrible thing they would give you to save your family. Oh no, I, I am absolutely dude. You're, you're preaching to the choir on this, man. Um, I hear that's, I, that's the, that's the mindset I want people to think about when they think about why that person did what they did in their perception, in their world, that was their option. Well, and that goes right back to what I was talking about as far as we all we all live in our different our different worldviews. We all live on our different planet, even though we're all here is, you know, even, you know, me and you may we could be in the same room talking at these. Well, we're on a Zoom call. We're talking at the exact exact same time, 
but we have these different views about what's going on in life and things like that. And and I can tell you, and I'm not going to go into details about my personal life, but like I've been through some hard times and been through some shit where some bad shit like that has gone through my head. So I definitely can empathize with those people. And I, I know where your head is when something like that happens, but what what I'm trying to throw out there and I'm, I'm not trying to like shit on anybody that's done it because like I said, life is hard and I've been there. I get it. I see where people are at, but what I guess when I said when it was a selfish act is I just want people, you know, if maybe somebody listening to this podcast, they hear that and maybe something clicks like, Oh shit. 100%. There's something else out there that I'm not thinking about because in that moment, when you're thinking about doing something like that, that's the only thing you're thinking about is I'm going to solve this problem. And and you're trying to be helpful. Honestly, you're trying to be helpful, but there's the, you're basically, it's like tunnel vision, right? You get into a critical incident, you get it, whatever you have this tunnel vision of this solution or what I have to be dealing with. And you're not thinking about the outside factors and shit like that. And you know what? And that's exactly right. And I I think we, we kind of shorted it up a little too soon uh, before we had a chance to, you had a chance to mention that. And you're right. The fact of the matter is this, when we think about that from you and from where we're sitting right here today on this Sunday evening, I'm going to tell anybody listening that there is always a solution. And here's the reality. If, if you go to any advanced training, there's always a solution. If you work in a case, there's always a solution. If you work in an accident scene, you had to reconstruct it. There's always a solution. You know, it, it doesn't matter what it is. There's always a way and you just got to find the right tools and the right people to help you out with it. And yeah, don't get me wrong. I, I enjoyed beating you up a little bit. And I think that uh, you're, you're spot on that it is a selfish act. And, and if you're considering those things and you're out there and you just need to hear it one more time that a, you matter, B, there are people that really, 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 really care about you and, and C, there are people out there that are waiting for you to call them and, and, and they're there to help you out. That's what they're living for, bro. They're, they're looking for that. So yeah, yeah you're, absolutely. You're yeah, dude. And it's no, we're, we're good. And, and I just, my thing is, is just kind of opening, like I said, there's, there's two sides to that whole thing. And, and I think, you know, us, that are like stable, which I like how you said that, that that makes good sense is I don't think that's a proper English, but anyway, that makes sense. Being stable. Like I can look at things and be like, Oh, well, that's a really selfish act. But then on the other side of it, you can look at it and be like, well, this is, this is how I see things. So again, understanding people have kind of their different realities. And sometimes you have to like kind of tap into that before things start to click and make sense. I mean, uh, you're married. How often are yep. you having a conversation with your wife? And she's like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> and then you're like, because I'm, I'm off in outer space, assuming she knows everything about what I'm, I'm talking about. And then I'm yeah. like, Oh shit. I didn't even explain myself. I just came in here guns a blazing about like what I'm excited about. And she has no fucking clue. So yeah, remember yeah. that, like to, to be cerebral, I guess, to how other people are feeling. And um, like, if some, if that happens, which God, I hope that never happens again, but we, unfortunately it's going to happen. Like understand where your friends were at or what was going on in their mind that, and it's not your fault. Like, it's not your fault. If something like that happens, it's never your fault, but understand like where they're at. But I, but then also understand if you do that, that 
you're it's kind of selfish to everybody else if that makes sense they're kind of rounded out yeah you're right 100 percent. yeah if you do that if you you know if it helps for other people to think about the people that that are going to be hurt when they're gone um yeah definitely consider those around you all right so since we're talking about happy shit let's talk about some more happy shit one of the things i wanted to talk to you about and we can't unfortunately i know it's like kind of like a, a blue balls here but we can't get into like a lot of details about it, but as a younger officer, you were involved in an officer involved shooting and you lost a coworker during that incident. That was a, I mean, obviously without saying, which is like the stupidest thing you could ever say without saying, but that was a tough thing to go through. I mean, how do you even, even though you know that could happen in your career, how do you even begin to prepare or deal with something like that? Let me tell you, so, uh, uh, it, wow. So it, 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 it never goes away. Um, it's, it's like, uh, you just, you just gotta imagine going to work one day and they give you an elephant and you got to carry it around with yourself the rest of your life. Um, and that's what it is. So, yeah, I was a younger man in a younger man's clothes and, uh, was involved in this incident and, and, uh, uh, one of our officers was killed and, it was a big to do. And anyway, it took me, I think I was off work. I was off work probably a couple of months. I mean, they were very, very gracious with that, but the, 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 the department wasn't prepared for it either. I mean, they weren't prepared for number one, one officer being killed uh, and what their reaction was going to be to that. And then on top of that, the fact that there was, you know, six or seven of us involved, um, maybe five or six of us involved that had to be off. I mean, we, so that's a whole shift in some, some of these smaller agencies. So you got an entire shift of people that, that are gone. How are you going to, how are you prepared to staff that? How are you prepared to react to that? How is IA prepared to start even doing with that? How is the shoot team prepared? To, you know what I mean? So there was a lot of, a lot of, a lot of shit in that show, but uh, ultimately uh, I came back to work probably sooner than I should have my whole mindset changed my whole viewpoint of, of law enforcement and life changed. Uh, and I, I probably would say I really didn't start to heal and recover uh, fully embracing recovery, I should say, and, and healing until almost eight years later. Wow. Like that, I mean, yeah, that's I mean, a I, long time to live with something. Dude. Now, let me tell you something. Survivor's guilt is a motherfucker. And uh, I, I did I did every fucking stereotypical thing you could do uh, in in survivor's guilt mode, bro. I, I I sought solace in the bottle. I I I you know acted aggressively at work. I rode my motorcycle too fast. I you know spent money on stupid shit. All of it. I mean, you know, all those things that that. Uh, any post-critical incident team will tell you to be aware of. I, I did all of it. And, uh, you know, I, I had relapses and, and where, you know, I get a little bit further in the bottle than I cared to, or, or I'd, uh, I'd, you know, become a recluse with family, you know, all, all those things, man. And, and, and every, every step of the way, my anger just, you know, got, got the better of me. And, uh, ultimately, you know, I know I'm really kind of narrowing this down, but but ultimately, uh, as cliche as it sounds, 
uh, I had a mirror moment where I was getting ready for work one night because all kinds of shit happens when you when you're acting a fool. You get uh, laterally demoted. You know, I got moved out of CID as a detective back to patrol on deep nights, and I'm like, "So is there anything I need to sign?" And they're like, "Nope, it's a lateral." And you're like, "Lateral? I'm giving away uh, my weekends off, take home car." Uh, advancement pay and I'm going back to deep nights on patrol. That's a lateral, but you know, so any, ultimately, you know, I almost flushed away a career, did a lot of stupid shit. And I had the mirror moment where I'm like, dude, if you don't like going to work, just stop going. And then I was like, well, I, I like going to work. Okay. Then, then what can you change? And ultimately it was like, you know, all I can change is myself and, you know, I got to figure out how I can look at things different. And then, you know, all that kind of stuff. So that's, that was my, I dipped my toe in the self-awareness and self-help and, and self-actualization in my darkest moments. If, if that kind of rounds it out. Yeah, man. I mean, that was, yeah, that rounds it out. I would say, <laughs> where <laughs> I do I, I even long-winded. fucking go from here, man? Um, <laughs> I get long winded brother. I'm sorry. No, no. I mean like this is like poorly made and this is like some pretty fucking heavy shit. So I guess where to start is, so you go through all that shit and I, I have a lot of questions and I, I don't know where exactly where we're going to end up going from here, but you said you went back probably too soon. I don't know. You know, I was never involved in something like that where I got a ton of time off. Um, I base I was involved in something where they're like, Hey, are you okay? And I was like, yeah. And that was on scene. And that was like kind of the end of it, which was awesome. Thanks for that, guys. That was really good supervision. But, you know, on your end, you said you felt like you went back too soon. Did you feel like you were pressured to come back or were they pretty good about that? No, they were they were really good about that. Um, like I said, there was a handful of us that were involved and, and uh, we all came back at different times. And they were very, very supportive of that. And whatever our choice was, our choice was. Um, uh, so, uh, as a line, you know, you know how this is as a line officer, the reality of everyday life is what I don't give a shit about my commander. I don't give a shit about my chief, the guy to my left, the guy to my right, right or die. You know what I mean? If we're yeah. working tonight together. If we both go home, great. That's what we live for. And so every day I was away, I felt that I wasn't. I wasn't there to be, I wasn't there in case it happened again to somebody else. Right. So I'm thinking, cause so at this time in my career, I'm a detective, uh, I'm on SWAT. Um, I'm not sure if I was a SWAT team leader at that point, but I was still doing weapons training, still doing all the active shooter stuff, still doing, I mean, so I was still involved in that life. And so whenever we ran warrants in CID, you know, uh, I may do the ops plan or, you know, I may, you know, do the, you know, the plan for the stack and, and how we're going to enter for especially we're going to do a no knock. And if we're going to have SWAT, all those things were part of my, because I was in both. Right. So it just kind of happened. And when I wasn't there, I felt like they were lacking that. So I put it on myself to go back when I went and hindsight, it was, it was too soon. And, it, and literally it was like two and a half, three months later. But I wasn't getting any better, per se. So, like, I went through departmental uh, 
therapy, like they sent me to somebody to talk to. And then, you know, you always have to go through that standard psych before you return to work. And, you know, the irony is the, the psych guy that I went and saw for my post-critical incident psych evaluation was the same guy I saw for my onboarding and the same guy I saw for SWAT. So I had to have a psych for SWAT. And every time I went and saw him, it was right after something horrible happened. Like I lost somebody in my family or some horrific event. Right. So every time the guy saw me, it was literally on the heels of something tragic. And, and I went in and had our conversation and I was cleared. Right. They're like, Oh, you're good to go. And I, I probably was, you know, I could do the job. My cognitive function was there, but it was, it was the guilt. It was the survivor's guilt that ultimately uh, started kicking my ass. And, and I think that there's no way to really prepare for that. So what that means is as an administrator, if I have people in my department that go through things like this, I need to understand that three days in, 10 days in, three months in, they come back to work and they cleared their psych, they may not be okay. This, this is something that is going to be with them for a very, very, very long time. And it's how are they coping with carrying that extra burden of that elephant, that traumatic event? So is that traumatic event affecting their daily work? Am I, is it possible to go way too much and be over scrutinizing their performance? Yeah. But is it something that needs to fall to the wayside and yeah, it's all good until we hear about it? No we should probably monitor it and form, you know, we, we want to create that environment of what we just talked about a vulnerability where the, the cop that is having a bad day can come up to admin and go, man, I'm just, I'm just not having a good day. Uh, and they're cool with that either send him home or talk about it or prepare to deal with it, but not just, no, dude, you passed your psych. If you're not on the street answering your calls, you're not going to get paid you know, suck it up and drive on it. That's, I think that's a little obtuse to, to think about it that way. So uh, were they prepared? No. Did I come back too early? Yeah. Of my own doing, I didn't feel pressured today. I think people, I think people today would, would, I, I haven't dealt with it since I've been, you know, back. Uh, should I say um, I have seen agencies deal with it that I know about and officers that I know that have been involved in critical incidents since then. And it seems like they're, they're dealing with it okay, uh, and they seem to be okay with their agency's handling of it. But it for me, it's the it's the long term stuff that, that you got to deal with. This is a little off topic, but as you were talking, I kind of thought about this, and this is this is like a very new thought, so it's not very well formulated. But would there be, especially since you have some experience in this arena, any merit to some kind of program to say, hey, look? cops been through a critical incident such as yours hey they're done let's not send them back out here let's take care of them for life i know that's probably not like a financially feasible thing but man i i just feel like a lot of people are trotted back out there and it's a hard thing to recover from because you can pass a psych and not be okay like you just said i mean you hit the nail on the head and i I wonder from a, a guy like you that has been through something like that and you end up going back do you think it's possible to go through something like that and, and really be the same at work ever again no you're, you're never the same um that was that was one of the hard things i had to deal with is that oh I, I was never going to be the guy i was 
right before that happened. You know what I mean? And and you just can't be. To your point of, is that something that we could maybe medically retire somebody? Um, I, I don't know, man. I mean, which I think, I think is like, something that's starting to happen. I, I've heard of a few stories like that. I think it yeah. really, I mean, there needs probably be some determination on the, the guy that's involved in it, but God, I, I feel like that's gotta be a thing. And I mean, you see these cases where, and I'm not saying any of them were bad shoots, but like, I've, you know, and the media likes to point out like, oh, this officer has been involved in, you know, three or four officer involved shootings. Even if all of them are legit, half of me is like, why do they keep trotting this poor dude out there? Well, yeah, well, and so that's the thing. So, it, I mean, there's there's no way we cover all these topics. So what I'm hoping is, is this is a segue into you calling me back to have another to have another get together. But this is this is where we really start talking about average mental health, stamina, and resilience. Like, what is it that makes a difference in in guy X versus guy Y? Right. So why why is it that this guy can come and go from critical incident? and be okay and not carry those extra burdens. But maybe you take a guy like myself who, who was involved in a couple of those critical incidents and it weighs on and, or, you know, they, they have episodes where, you know, they have some PTS symptoms and things like that and, or diagnosis. And, you know, so what's the difference? Like there may be those guys out there who, who have the mental makeup and capacity to deal with scenarios like that. I mean, you, you see it all the time in special operations and military, these guys can deal with a lot of that stuff and then be okay as air quotes, you know, with, with all of that and still live good normal lives and be able to compete or not really compete, but perform at the level that they performed at before. I, I don't know the answer and I don't know how to diagnose that because we don't in law enforcement, obviously we don't have VA. We don't have, people that are studying long-term effects of law enforcement on people. And we don't have, um, you know, we do have people like blue help. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of those guys. I have. So they, they're trying to do some stuff where they're trying to get uh, suicide, uh, law enforcement suicide uh, as line of duty stuff. I mean, I don't know exactly where they are in their campaign, but I had read some stuff on that. Well, you know, getting ready to present to some corrections officers. So, there are people out there trying to do it. It's just not, it's not in the light of, of what the veterans are going through and, and will it ever be? I think it will be. I mean, eventually it has to be right. Yeah. Well, you brought up an excellent point and I wanted to kind of expound on it, not too much, but we all, and again, kind of going back to this theme we've had on the podcast that we all have our different realities, not, you know, not to get too sciencey, sciencey. I'm obviously not a doctor, but we all have different mental makeup. Some of that is beyond our control. And I hate these one size fits all solutions for everything. The same guy could get in a shooting and three fucking weeks later be like, Hey, I'm good. I can, I dealt with it my own way. I'm good. I'm, and they'll be totally fine. Yep. A different guy could get in the shooting and they are a mess for the rest of their life. And it's not their fault. And people that, well, you just need to, and and I'm not saying people say that, but like a lot of these things, like even something as stupid as weight loss, like, well, it's about your mindset and blah, blah, blah. Right. We're all different. We have different fucking chemical makeup in our brains. (laughs) 
Okay. Yeah. What yeah. works for you isn't necessarily going to work for the, the next guy. I still believe there's a kind of a line in the sand as far as right and wrong and all that good shit, but try to understand that people don't see the world the same exact way that you do, even your friends. Yeah, hundred percent. And so, you know, you, you bring it up a, a, a very uh, interesting topic, which is, so can you, can you train resiliency into somebody? Can you train mental stamina into somebody? Can you train uh, uh, mental fortitude into somebody or determination? And and I think at a certain level you can. I, I agree. I think you can too. But the reality is what? Unless unless you individually take it seriously, if it's your diet, if it's your mental stamina, mental well-being, or mental health. Unless you take it personal and you make it about you and you take a vested interest in it, it doesn't matter what you try. It, it's not going to be, you're not going to get the results that you're looking for. And I think that, I mean, I'm a fat guy. We, we mentioned that earlier. So I hashtag me too. You know, yeah. <laughs> well, I've worked out, I've done all the things, but when every time I was regulated, uh, had a reason to work out and I was in it invested, I achieved all of my goals. Um, but when I wasn't personally vested in those things and I didn't take a, a personal interest in those things, I didn't, uh, you know, and, and so uh, you, you bring up a very valid point that we're not the same. And ultimately, it's, it boils down to the individual. A lot of us will work out and take a picture of ourselves at the gym saying, you know, fit for duty. But what are we doing for our mental health? You know, have have I gotten over the fact that my dad left when I was 10 years old and now every time I take a gym selfie, I'm trying to show that I'm good enough, right? So if we could dive into that world of how prepared are you for the job mentally, are you as much physically, as much as you are educationally, as much education as you put into it to study and to be proficient in the law? What about your mental health? So yeah, those are all questions we could we could ask and search for a couple of fits uh, for answers. Oh, absolutely. And I, real quick, I wanted to talk about like the, uh, the training yourself for things. Yeah. We all get pepper sprayed in the Academy fucking sucks. <laughs> right. And people are like, Oh, it's just cause they're sadistic. Right. No, you dumb motherfucker. It's to show that you can fight through that shit and handcuff, shoot a gun, whatever yeah. to show that you can do all of that stuff. I had a situation where I was pepper sprayed. I'm not going to get into the story, but I was pepper sprayed a uh, little blue on blue violence on accident <laughs> on a call. Right. Yeah. And I fought through and handcuffed the dude that was fighting and did all the shit because I knew I'd done it before and I can do it again. Yes. I yeah. sat, I fucking mustered it up and I fucking got it shit done. So there is there is that too, obviously too. It's 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 a very complex answer that I don't think we have a probably a lifetime to discuss. You're you're right. You're 100 percent right. So there's going to be some agencies out there that have never heard of this and are going to go, oh my god, what? But that's why stress induced uh, training or training under stress on the range uh, or PPCT whatever it is, is so fucking important. And 
I'm going to let a little secret out here. That's why people give you shit while you're a recruit in the academy or why they give you shit through FTO is because if I can thicken your skin to my bullshit and you can still do your job and perform, then I've done you a favor, right? And if I can get you under stress and you can still perform these, these cognitive functions and these physical functions under stress, then I've given you something and I've taught you something. So but we don't do it with mental health, right? We do it with, you know, maybe some firearms, maybe some PPCT, but we don't talk about, you know, as, as weird as it sounds, we don't talk about self-help. We don't talk about meditation. We don't talk about yoga. We don't talk about the mental benefits of working out. We don't talk about all those things. No, man, we really should. So all of the shit that you went through up until you retired, it kind of led you into something else, right? Yes, sir. 100%. So tell the millions of people that listen to this podcast uh, what you do now. Well, so I have a company called Foresight. It's uh, written the number four C-I-T-E, but it is actually a play off the word foresight. Um, I think we've all been in a situation where we said, man, if I had the foresight or if I had knowledge of that, I would have done something different. And so I've made it a goal, made it a mission of my company Foresight to uh, train people and, and administration specific, uh, but even line level supervisors about the internal crisis that every individual officer or corrections officer, or even dispatchers, uh, whomever faces every day. So uh, I developed a leadership program called Internal Crisis Leadership. Uh, it is basically for new administrations or transitioning uh, administrations to understand some of the stresses that people are under uh, during those scenarios. Uh, you know, a changing of the guard is never something fun to go through. Doesn't matter if it's a police chief or if it's a sheriff, there's a lot of worrisome people that are like, Oh God, I'm fixing to get fired. And that, that directly affects their performance uh, on the job. And, I don't think anybody wants their backup to be thinking about anything other than my ass while we're on the call, right? I want you to be focused on what we're doing. I think that administrators don't see that stress sometimes because they're caught up in their own world doing their own thing, but they need to be aware and they need to be prepared. So my courses are for those guys to, to learn the signs and symptoms and what to observe and what to notice whenever they have officers going through crisis uh, up to and including you know, we've all heard of those bad shifts where you got a bad supervisor and everybody on the shift is kind of running amok. Maybe you got some corruption, maybe you got some illegal behaviors, how to deal with those kind of things. And then foresight is also coaching. And that kind of follows the Coach Crossland thing, which is there are guys out there like you and I who decided long ago that we wanted to be cops. And then something happens. And we realize that either the job is no longer healthy for us or we're no longer healthy for the job. And we decide to do something else, but we're lost, right? There's, there is not a lot, actually, there's no, that none that I know of. There's not anybody out there offering transition help for law enforcement who are getting out of the job. There's veterans assistance out there and, and there should be, and God bless them. Um, but for, for the majority of us law enforcement guys who do 20, and we're still young enough to do something else. There's really not a lot of help for us to find that next thing. 
and well, then that's and, and I've seen things out there where guys are like, I'm going to help you transition, but you end up just like working in their company, you know, <laughs> like not like actually helping yeah. this guy out, you know? Well, and, and that's kind of where the coaching side comes about, you know, and, and coaching is kind of one of those weird things, man. And I don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not a life coach. Okay. Uh, however, I can help you if you've got issues, but I'm not a life coach. I'm not a therapist, but what I can do is I can help you transition into finding that next mission, that next thing that's going to be good for you. And, and unfortunately, you know, I can't do it for free, but it's not that expensive, but it definitely is a, is a third party that can help you get to the next level because ultimately it's about performance. It's about your own individual performance. And if you've been nothing but a cop, and I say that so loosely, but if you've been a cop your whole life, and now you've decided that I have to get out of this line of work, what am I going to do next? Well, who are you going to talk to? And you can talk to me because I've been there and I've helped more than one person transition. And, and that's has become my next passion, right? My next passion is I want to help administrations understand the stresses these guys are under. And I want to help guys who decide to get out, find their next step. And that's kind of where I'm at. If I would have known about you about oh, six months ago, I think we would have had a conversation, but don't worry about me, dude. I'm in, in a basement recording a podcast. So it's fine. Well, I, honestly, I don't know if had I known you six months ago and I've known about the podcast, I probably wouldn't have been able to say, hey, man, this is probably going to be, you know, if it, but if, if you're having fun and this is a passion of yours, bro, you found it and you didn't need my help. So congratulations. <laughs> but I, but I am a millennial and I do need you to validation? tell me that I'm doing a good job. I need the validation, sir. <laughs> well, I can tell you, you were doing a bang up job, sir. It's fantastic. Beautiful. All right, before we finish up the podcast, we got to give away a little t-shirt action, which we're uh, we're running low on funds. We'll see if we'll keep doing it. But uh, I was given some money through an anonymous donor to give away some free pearly, some free pearly, some free poorly made police memes merch. It's all anonymous, all that good stuff. So if you want to nominate your buddy, email me at poorly made police memes at gmail.com. And obviously very special thanks to the people that donated money so I can do this. Um, Nobody makes any money off. Well, t-shirt company does. I don't. So this deputy um, was involved in a couple of critical things, but we're going to, the one we're going to go with here is basically this deputy responded to a shooting. All right. So upon arrival, this deputy found a 23 year old woman who had attempted suicide by shooting herself in the chest. He took immediate action and began performing life-saving measures, uh, which proved to be successful. The young lady was transported to the hospital and, for further treatment and she's uh doing okay so uh this guy deserves some recognition for uh taking care of this gal and getting her some help and stabilizing her so if uh he emails me back he will get a mug and or a t-shirt or something else fun from my uh store now this is a little outside of uh, what we've been kind of talking about but it'll bridge into a different conversation i did a little vague booking the other day uh people that follow the page I put a post that said, you know, would the world be a better place without poorly made police memes? And you guys were all very gracious and said, no, no, you get, you're doing great. And, you know, we really appreciate you being there. And I, I mean, sincerely like that, that's cool. Like I'm glad I'm providing some, some good in this world, but I think the point I wanted to make and is, and add a little shock to it and make people think a little bit is, and again, jumping into this, you know, different realities thing is, for some people, maybe even you, hopefully not you, the page is not good. 
And I say that is the constant because they're, I mean, unfortunately, a lot of police work in the memes, they're funny if they're negative. I mm-hmm. found like the darker place I'm in is the fucking funnier the memes, you know, because the stupid ones are fun every once in a while, but like the ones that are real and hit hardest are the funniest, right? Right. That constant stream of negativity is not good. Now, I'm not going to change what I do because it's what I do, but I just wanted people to kind of think a little bit about that. Like, what am I consuming? And I'm not trying to like, again, I'm not like a psychology major. I'm not like trying to fucking better your life. So I, I run a page called poorly made police memes, but I, I want right. to leave like a little legacy behind, right? Like every once in a while, I'm going to post something for me. And that was kind of like, just kind of think about that shit. Think about what you're consuming and the shit you're looking at. And if it's bringing value to your life. And I look at like Instagram as like a terrible pile of heaping garbage. Because if you scroll past what you're, you know, the shit in your feed, holy fuck, it could be anything. It is, it's like rolling dice and, you know, or you start scrolling, you see something that makes you mad and then you fucking look up something else that makes you mad and then blah, blah, blah. And I'm I'm kind of stealing somebody else's thunder um, that kind of put this in my mind, but just think about that shit, man. Like that's all I'm trying to get at. So, but kind of the other part of that, which I'll kind of bring in, bring you in here is I had a follow-up question a couple days later, like a day later is who's more capable, capable, who is more culpable, a bad influencer or the weak minded. And I didn't intentionally use the term influencer. Like we think of it now, like a, you know, Facebook or Instagram or TikTok influencer, not, not in that thing, just like somebody that has an influence on you. So and I'm sure we'll go back and forth on this. And this wasn't my intent when I posted this to even talk about it on the podcast, but a lot of good shit came out of the comments. But coach, what do you think about that? What do you think about that question? Who has more culpability, the the bad influencer or the weak-minded? Okay. So this is where the administrator in me comes out. So at the office, okay. If you're talking about at the, at who's got influence at the office, um, the influencer is more culpable. The, the, the person you are working with is more culpable because we all have an obligation to make at least what we do for the time that we're there bearable, right? Now, I flip to the other side of that and say, if it's Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, social media, even the fucking regular media, um, it's the weak-minded. The, the reality is I'll, I'll, I'll throw out diet. And the fact that you and I had a couple of drinks tonight, you know, we feed ourselves that and we're responsible for that. If I eat shit food, no, bro, it's the spoon's fault. It is the spoon's fault. It's the spoon. And you know what? It's food network's fault, but yeah, it's, it's a hundred percent the weak minded when it comes to the real world. But I want to go back to the office. That space needs to be safe. Uh, it needs to be a place where cops can be cops and cops can be comfortable and I don't need to be spewing negative shit every day. And if I catch myself, and I'll be honest with you, uh, I've caught myself in a negative space. And I thought about it very long and hard and made some decisions that changed my outlook. But the reality is, if I'm a negative person every day I go to work and I'm the leader of that organization, or even a mid-level manager of that organization, and I'm a shitbag and I'm negative every day, how do I expect everyone around me to be positive? 
No, that's real. That's real. Uh, I lean mostly towards the other side of that, though. I think there's culpability on both parts of it. Because you're right. Like, if you're just berated by the negative shit 24-7, I mean, it it's unrealistic for that not to bug you. But in the same time, I guess I kind of take a very simplistic look at it of, well, it's it's my decision to be mad about it or not. It's my decision to be in a bad mood or not. It's my decision to consume it or not. It's all that. So I put most of the onus in my mind towards the weak-minded. But reading other people's comments and getting outside of my bubble of thinking, and I, I didn't necessarily change it a whole lot, but I became more understanding of what people had to say. So we'll dive into that a little bit. We have one guy that says, um, the weak-minded because life's about choices. And it is, like yeah. kind of like what I was saying, life is all about choices. But then we had another guy that kind of went in, and this is my fault a little bit, I'm going to take some culpability because that's the big word of the day. <laughs> I didn't, you know, I didn't put a whole lot of direction in it. And, and they kind of went on to like this tangent about like, well, they, they saw it like the weak minded as being basically what I would think like mentally disabled. Oh, obviously, wow. obviously in that, in that sense. Yeah. The, the, the people, the, the influencers, the bad person there, like somebody that's incapable of making their own decisions. Yeah. It's the influencer. Right. That, that's no question to me. But I, what I meant is like people both of the same mind. So um, I, I would have never and I this is how simpleton I am. I would have never gone outside of the world of law enforcement in that thought process. So I would have ne- it would have never crossed my mind that you may have been talking about a mentally disabled person as weak minded. Yeah. And, you know, they they. Uh, one of the person went like child too, which like, that's, that's obviously a thing too. Like you can't expect a child to make the same sound decisions as an adult would. Yeah, no, I guess, I guess I just took it in the context of Ellie. I, no, yeah, I did. That was my intent. My yeah. But that's the thing is, is somebody, it, your words can have so many different meanings. They kind of go off in these, all these different directions. Um, I'm not going to take so much, too much time to trash this guy, but I'm going to. This guy put any cop in here that says weak-minded should change perspectives or change professions, which I I wasn't going to retort, but I couldn't help myself, which I retorted. That's interesting. You don't believe in personal responsibility. Um, And they said I do, but blaming the victim is not how a good police officer acts. And then he got into like, elderly person perspective yeah. all that stuff and then he mentioned that he was a had a college degree which i kind of lost interest um yeah dude like come on man oh god but he did bring up a point about the victim blaming thing yeah let's talk about that for a second which is not related to this i think well, there's a such thing as victim blaming but then i think there's also like you know personal responsibility taking like let's use the example no go ahead go ahead where's the common sense line because like exactly look if if i watch if you're watching somebody let's say you're working a shitty beat you're watching this person commit a crime it's nonviolent. they're obviously intoxicated and they're just having a hell of a time trying to get it figured out 
and then they're an addict. So are they a victim at this point, even though they're committing a crime and it's horrible and they're just fucking it up 100 miles an hour and you're laughing at it? Are you now a bad person because this person is a victim of addiction? No. That's an interesting take because, oh God, my, my view on addiction is it's kind of evolving. And I, I'm not saying that to like flex that I'm, I'm mentally superior than anybody, but there's culpability for sure on the addicted person, right? I just, okay. I'm weird about like, and this comes from a guy that, that's had somebody, like I've lost somebody, you know, due to an overdose. Like, oh wow. I, I think cops, I think... <sighs> kind of like how I was kind of talking about being callous to like a suicide call, like, Oh, whatever. They're, they're not, they're just, they're just calling, you know, to get a ride to the the hospital or or whatever. Right. I think cops kind of look at addiction the same way. I'm not saying that like, look, addiction's a choice. And and I hate like, I'm probably going to like piss people off, but look, like there's people that are more susceptible to addiction, but like the bottom line is no one else besides you is putting that needle in your arm no one else besides you is, you know, whatever you're doing. Nobody else is making you smoke. Nobody else is doing uh, yeah. all that shit. Uh, we're, fixing, you know, we're fixing to get our ass kicked on this, aren't we? I don't give a fuck, man. Sometimes you have to have these <laughs> uncomfortable, uncomfortable conversations. But but at the same time, like, I think cops, we kind of take this, like, shitty attitude towards addicts. Yes. Uh, we shouldn't. I mean, like, do they do some shit that's funny? Yeah, they do. And you're like, oh my God, how can you laugh at that? Because it's funny and we have a sick sense of humor. Okay. I'm not saying it's yeah. okay, but it's, it is what it is, man. Like, and I hate when people say like, oh, I would never laugh at anything. People, <laughs> everybody has a sick fucking sense of humor, man. Some of the funniest fucking shit is dark. Okay. Even if it's wrong, I, I think the dudes in South Park said it once, like it's all funny or none of it's funny. Right. Yeah. You can't be selective. No, and you may be offended, but you can't be selective. You can't laugh at somebody else's bullshit and then be offended when they touch on your bullshit. Exactly. You know, it's like even some like people send me like anti-cop memes and some of them are funny. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) yeah, it it just kind of is what it is. Like, it always drives me nuts. Like somebody you've loved your whole life, they say one thing that you disagree with, like politically, and you're like, I I can't listen to their music anymore. Their music's not good anymore. <laughs> really? Now, have I been guilty of that shit? Fuck yeah. Like, you know, like I, I've had family members say anti-police stuff and I, I can't look at them the same way. So I'm, I guess I'm guilty of it too. But again, just we're not always going to all agree on everything. And I, I think we need to stop acting like our way is the right way on everything. But we kind of went way off topic there. I don't even fucking remember what we were talking about. Well, so we, what we were talking victim about, blaming. We were, talking we we're talking about victim, victim blaming. blaming. Yeah. And so what my, my point was, <laughs> my point, my point was I, your, your, your context and your intent wasn't to talk about simple minded as in mentally challenged and, or children and, or elderly and, or any victim of a crime where they may have been duped into something. Your, your comment was simple minded as in, easily swayed easily influenced by rhetoric or ignorance so uh yeah the fact that it went out of context and and if some of these guys are cops it's 
that's a challenging, challenging hill to climb, sir. <laughs> yeah. You know, but I, what I was going to say about victim blaming is, okay, so break in, a car break in, right? Somebody breaks into a car and you're like, motherfucker, lock your door. Right. Yes. Is it okay to like tell them to lock their door or are you victim blaming? Well, or okay. like, hey, like maybe date different kind of guys because this guy is a piece of shit. That's not, I don't think that's like victim blaming. Like, you, you no, know, there's well, kind of like this, like if you keep dating shitty people, like there's this kind of old saying, like go on a date with somebody that you would never normally go on a date with. They might surprise you. It's that kind of like that same type of thing. I mean, like, but at the same time, like you get these guys that go to calls and like, it's something stupid, like where it's a very easily preventable thing. But at the yeah. bottom line, they, I mean, yeah, they could have better protected themselves, but they didn't commit a crime. Yes. And I think sometimes well, we lose sight of that because we're forced to do work because they, you know, now we got to take this fucking auto prowl report because you didn't lock your goddamn doors. Yeah. Well, and so in the county, think about it this way. All these cowboys out here roaming the prairie got to go to that farmhand and go, hey, you're missing what? Oh, I'm missing a truck. When was the last time you saw it? February of 19. Okay, so you're just now calling? Well, I just now noticed it's missing. And you're like, were the keys in it? Well, of course they were. They're at my fucking ranch truck. And you're like, well, hey, dumbass, what do you expect? Oh, so, man. Dude, I live in a little town, and uh, I left my car out running for like just a minute because I had to run in and grab something. I thought, dude, if I lived in the city, there's no fucking way I would have done that. Like, no, <laughs> no way. But here's the thing. My car could still get, get stolen, man. Some asshole could still be walking by my house and steal my shit. And it would be, yeah. is it culpability on me for not locking my car? Yeah, I'm sure there's puffer tickets out here, whatever they call it out here in Iowa. But yeah. But still, the most that falls, the fucking dude that stole my car. Don't lose sight of that. That's all I, that was my point and all that. No, I get um, it 100%. Now, down back to the, the, the task at hand, good sir. We were talking about um, who's more at fault here. And this might be the best quote I had here was, who's the bigger fool? The fool or the fool who follows him? Said one Obi-Wan Kenobi. I mean, Ooh, yeah, that's I deep. Mean, that is deep, and uh, Obi Wan's never wrong. So we're gonna have to go say with that. One guy put on here: the weak-minded personal responsibility is always the number one problem with the modern culture. I I kind of agree with that. I feel like our modern culture and times, no one wants to take responsibility for anything, including you know you stubbing your toe, you blame the fucking couch, you yep. blame your kids for the Lego. We're I mean we're all kind of guilty of it. So remember I said earlier we have to have someone to blame. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna say it. We have to blame the boomers and Gen X. Yeah, you because, fucking boomer. Yep, because we're the ones we're the ones that said shit like "not my son" and "be nice to them," and everybody gets a uh, participation trophy. It's our fault, dude. Sorry, we fucked y'all up. You did. By the way, all those participation trophies were fucking like really shittily made too. <laughs> like, I don't have I don't have any of them. <laughs> Oh man, it. I mean, <laughs> you know what's funny though is, I think as like you know nine year old meme lord playing baseball. Like at, at the end of the season, if it was the end of the season, I would have been sad. I wouldn't have thought anything of it. But because you're so yeah. used to like, oh, I'm gonna get a fucking trophy. Yeah, that's awesome. 
And then, you know, look, looking back on it, like none of them say first place. None of them say anything. It's just like, oh, you were on the, the White Sox this season. <laughs> Good job. 1994. Great job. You know, you showed up. Good job. Yeah. Um, I like this one. All are accountable. Everyone is responsible for their own level of involvement. Uh, yeah, I like that one. Yeah, I do like that one a lot. Let me make, I know there was like one that was like fucking fire on Facebook. Let me pull that shit up real quick here. Oh, being prepared, dude. So while you're looking, I was, I was, I looked up weak minded and it's lack of determination or emotional strength or intellectual capacity. But I also looked up simple minded. And I think, I think the simple minded people are the ones who are having problems with. So maybe, so maybe this is my fault for using the wrong term. Well, simple-minded people is having or showing very little intelligence or judgment. <laughs> well, I think that's, I don't, I don't even know how to describe, like, I feel like we are the smartest society, but also the fucking dumbest. Like <laughs> there's no street smarts anymore, but there's book no. smarts. Well, Hey, you know, every, every, yes, everybody that has anything to say about it says what? Well, street smart cops aren't good cops. We got to have college educated cops. We got to have emotionally intelligent cops. We got to have all those things. So, yeah, you're right. We're the smartest yet dumbest. Here's, here's some of the ones from the old Facebook. The weak minded is more culpable. Without a weak mind, there could be no influence. That's an interesting take. Yeah, that is. It's kind of like a, like almost a Zen kind of take on that whole deal. Like, if there is no chicken, there is no egg. Yeah, I really want to know who came first. <laughs> Adam, probably your mom. Um, ooh. Ooh. bad. The bad influencer commits evil. The weak minded. The weak minded may do the same, but not because they are weak minded. That's kind of a weird. I I kind of get what this dude's saying. Um, he's saying he was influenced. He's not. He's not his own. Yeah, yeah. Which I I disagree. Um, I just I disagree, but I, I see the point he's trying to make. I I like this one. No self-respecting meme lord calls himself an influencer. I wasn't calling myself an influencer. Calm down, <laughs> boomer. Influence is subtle yet powerful when done correctly. I see that. 100%. I see that. Yeah, I definitely see that. So at what point does influence become manipulation? Exactly. And that's kind of what this next one gets into. And this one was this one was really good. The and I don't necessarily agree with it, but I see the point. The bad influencer, since it's the conscious choice to do wrong, the weak minded does not have the malintent. That was the one that really opened my mind up because I was like fucking the weak-minded the whole time. But then I thought about it after they said that. And I'm like, that makes a lot of sense. To what, to what degree? So like there's, so that's where it, it comes into the point of if everybody gets to say, well, it wasn't my fault. I was influenced by, or how do you determine somebody simple-minded or weak-minded? How, how do you, what's the, what's the gauge? I think that's the problem, man, is I don't think, how do, I mean, how do you gauge that? And there, there could be things where you're very strong-willed, strong-minded person. 
yeah. then other things um, were got like, I'm just going to use the example as chicks. Like there's some strong like dudes, but holy shit, man, their kryptonite is Poontang. And they make the yeah. dumbest fucking decision ever. No Go doubt. jerk off yeah, in no a bathroom, doubt. dude. Like calm down. But there's different i think different things affect people different ways now one thing i will say about this comment the bad influencer since they consciously make a choice to do wrong what if they're not making a choice to do wrong what if what if their intent isn't to influence anybody poorly they're just a bad influence and there's no intent yeah they have no boundaries never had boundaries and and so they're just acting out the way they've been allowed to act out yeah, I, I I have a I have a whole bit, not a bit. It's not it's a bad thing to say. It's, it's not, not a, a comedy routine. It's not a comedy routine. Part of part of some of my presentations, I really get, I really just touch the surface on uh, behaviors and in certain in certain scenarios why people act the way they act, uh, especially people who are suffering from PTS or. Uh, prolonged exposure to traumatic situations or events. And I touch base on some of those specifics. So yeah, there, it is possible for people to act out because they don't know any other way. Like that's it. So if someone's been a shithead their whole life and that's just the way they act and another person's influenced by it, who's at fault? Society? Yeah, dude, it's a big everything is kind of related to everything. And I, I think, and not to get too crazy here, but you, you kind of start connecting these dots and think about like, okay, well, you know, I'm a parent, so I have influence over my kids and what my kids see in me, that's going to influence them and their kids. And this is a really simple way to look at it. And so that's going to determine how those kids are and, and all these things that like all these, you know, cause and effect. And as simple as something is, how you treat somebody on a call for service may have a profound effect on their life, good or bad. Yep. So I, I think people need to just realize that everything you do has an effect on somebody else. And I think we are selfish creatures and we don't think about, you know, other people. And there's this, it's really, I don't know what I think of it yet. I haven't made a whole decision, but there's this big movement right now where it's like, take care of yourself first and then then worry about everyone else which i get it that makes sense that makes a lot of sense but then i think sometimes that whole thought process kind of forgets about everybody else before you're fixed or before whatever like and i get it like you can't you can't be the best you and take care of people right until you're fixed like you got to fix you and then you can deal with everything else but to me that's like speaking in platitudes you like you have to do shit throughout the day like people are counting on you people are relying on you yes so you you can't you can't just like sit back and not take care of business for however long it is because you're working on yourself i think i agree with what they're saying to an extent like you got to be the best you to be the best provider but it's not that simple if that makes sense no you're you're 100 correct but so like if you're answering calls for service, you're providing a service and you're providing a temporary solution to a problem. The, the long-term goals of leading and influencing people, uh, I definitely think the old quote of in order to 
assist somebody else across the river, you must first cross the river yourself. Absolutely. You, you should. So I get that on the influencer side. And, and I think the way that law enforcement has worn so many hats in the past and currently, we can do nothing more than shag a call, offer a temporary solution and move on because we've got shit stacking. And uh, we don't really have the opportunity to provide the best of service. We are in a customer service-based business, but we can't provide that best service. So that's why, you know, imagine if you went to Applebee's for happy hour and Rhonda, the bar waitress, was a total bitch. You're telling And that's hundred percent her name. There is no <laughs> other name that her name could be besides Rhonda. <laughs> no, it's not, because I've met her and she was a bitch. But you know, and and she's mean and rude, and you go, you leave there, you start texting your buddies, you're like, Rhonda's a bitch. <laughs> and your your friends are influenced by your experiences at Applebee's with Rhonda, just like general society is influenced by Martha's experience with Tommy the cop because Tommy was a shithead. Like you said, we've we, talked we, about Tommy a lot. He sounds like he's kind of an asshole. Dude, Tommy needs some help, man. I think he's on his last leg. If he catches enough, another IA, I think he's done. Yeah. Nobody, t- nobody else talk about Tommy though. No, we can't That's talk about That's just between Tommy. us friends. <laughs> That's the name of the podcast, by the way, it's Tommy. Tommy. <laughs> Holy shit. Well, hey, dude, uh, we're going to kind of start hitting the walking towards the door a little bit. But while I, uh, I walk you out and I'm a I'm a gentleman, so I'm not going to touch your butt, but I may. Well, hey, I'll slow down if you want to. Hey, you're looking good in those jeans, pal. Hey, so, how'd you know I'm wearing pants? Hey, <laughs> dude, what am I doing wrong, man? I'm doing these these podcasts in my basement and like the video is not on. I don't even have to be wearing pants right now. This is ridiculous. Dude, I even combed my hair. Are you shitting me right now? What are you talking about? Bro, I'm I'm essentially fat Thor, is is what I've turned <laughs> into since I left. That's that's who I am. But a, a few questions before we go. Yeah, man. And, and you have some you have a lot more experience than some of these young bucks that have come on the podcast to answer this one with authority. In your opinion, what is the best patrol car? Oh, CV, man. Crown big. Fuck yeah. Hell yeah, buddy. I'd give you a hand a fucking high five if you were here. <laughs> I was no, a little no scared. You did you get to experience the Caprice back in the day, like the, the mid nineties Caprice? I did. I had the whale. I had the uh, the the full the full exposed rear wheel, not the half wheel uh, on the back. You know what I'm talking about? Where they oh yeah the early model Caprice, and I didn't have a square body Caprice either. I had the round whale, um, the the and I had the Crown Vic. So the the Caprice was fast as shit. It was faster than the Crown Vic, hands down. However. Heavy, 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 and you could feel it when you're chasing somebody. You're going around corners. You could feel that caprice, no doubt. And then, Crown Vic, it, it just became a workhorse. I mean, it just became something that you got into it, and you know, I progressed with it through the body style change, and then uh, I I had one in CID up until sixteen, seventeen, and then. The last one I drove was in 2018, and I've you know I've driven Tahoe's in between there, but the Crown Vic, hands down, dude, it's the best cop car ever. You're a legend, sir. <laughs> now I don't know if you how long you've been listening to the podcast, but um, I've gotten to this weird habit, and I don't know how to stop. 
I'm trying to spread the word of uh, pooping your pants, uh, pooping your pants awareness. A lot of people, I, I'm not, again, if you poop your pants, you should go to the doctor. Like if you poop on your pants all the time, but occasionally, sometimes you may poop your pants. So what I'm here to ask you after all the serious conversation we've had, um, line of duty deaths, suicides, patrol cars. Yeah. Coach, have you ever pooped your pants as an adult? Yes. Welcome to the club. Welcome, yeah, welcome to the club. <laughs> hey. Welcome, coach. Let me tell you, hey, there's, there's, oh, deep nights, gas station tamales, and you know, like old coffee. Just a wrong thought, and you got all that gear on, trying to get back to the PD and and get it done, because that's usually the safest spot. You know, it's still open that you can go to crap at. So. I'm there, dude. Uh, I've, I've had many people call me up and say, hey, Sarge, I got to go home. And like, no questions asked, dude. Go home and change. Why does stale coffee hit different, man? Like, <laughs> that hits the gut and it's like, mm-hmm. and it doesn't even taste good, but you're like, you need the caffeine. So you're like, it's warm, yeah. it's whatever. And then it hits and you're like, oh, oh, ooh, this is going to be bad. Bro, hey, I dipped. I dipped snuff my whole career and it was inevitable. Dip of snuff, cup of coffee, first couple of calls for service, and then I'm back at the office. And then at night, dude, Waffle House lunch, followed by some coffee and some snuff. I was back at the, you know, it's inevitable. Hey, let me ask you something since we're talking about the old Waffle House. Does every jurisdiction call it the unlawful house or was it just mine? I think it was just yours. I think it was just yours. Ours, I never called it anything other than the Waffle House, but it was definitely sketchy. And, uh, you know, you would, you'd have to take it in shifts. We had one across the interstate from us that we could go to that wasn't in our jurisdiction, it was in the neighboring. And so we'd go in there and we'd be treated like normal people. But if we went to the one on our side of the highway, uh, they treated us poorly because we were ending up arresting people out of it. So you had to be very, very selective. Okay, but I mean, based on what you said, it is also an unlawful house. Yes, 100%. I don't know if everybody else calls it that, but I'm... I'm starting it here on this podcast. The Waffle House will forever be known as the Unlawful House. Well, nobody's there sober. So, yeah, there's, it's definitely the Unlawful House. Yeah. I, I got to be honest, man. I don't know if I've ever eaten at a, a Waffle House. Calls for service. Oh, yeah. Never eaten there. Probably because of the calls for service I took there. Oh, my God, dude. You're missing out. Okay. Fair enough, man. Fair enough. I'll, I'll check it out. I mean, there, there's probably like a nicer one around here. Now, sure. did you all do like a word of the day when you're on patrol, like the Sarge or something would pick a word and say, all right, you guys try and sneak that in a report or over the air. Do you ever do anything like that? Uh, Not officially, uh, but yes. Uh, When I was in CID, we would work in uh, lines from movies. Uh, If we were interviewing a bad guy, we'd try and work in an interview line or, uh, you know, if if the report was, you know, something egregious, not really bad. I mean, if it was really that we knew it was going to go to court, we definitely would jack around with it. But if you could write Donnybrook, fisticuffs, you know, anything along those lines, we'd put those in the reports, but never really had the word of the day. Okay. Well, I do something like that. And I don't know how many people play along. I think some people play along. So do you have a word of the day for the millions of people listening to the podcast to try and throw in over the radio or in the reports? 
I'm, I'm thinking nefarious is pretty easy. Accosted is kind of out there. Uh, absconder might be might be one of those words if you can use that. Yeah, let's do absconder, man. We haven't. That's a good word that I don't think is used enough. So uh, let's get the absconder in there. Does absconded count too, or just absconder? Yeah, no. Uh, absconded any variation of abscond i like it now the last but not least do you have any imparting words of wisdom that you want to share with everybody listening to the podcast man you're you're not alone out there and uh if you're going through some shit somebody else has gone through it too so you can find some help and uh even though you think the job sucks right now it might get better, it might not, but that's for you to decide. And uh, other than that, dude, enjoy it. Have fun with it. If you can't have fun with it, it's not worth doing. Hell yeah, dude. Hell yeah. So, hell yeah, brother. Got it. Whenever I say that, you got to go with the the whole the old school there. Hey, man. Uh, how do one more time? How do people get a hold of you? So I, I'm at Coach underscore Crossland on Instagram. I'm also at Foresight. That's the number four, C-I-T-E underscore L-L-C uh, on Instagram. Those are my two pages there. And then that's the easiest way to get a hold of me. Just check me out on Instagram. Sounds good, man. And I'll have everybody listening. I'll have all that information on the description of the podcast and on the, my Instagram and Facebook pages those days. All right. Well, everybody, thanks for uh, tuning in for another episode of the Very Poorly Made Police Memes podcast. I got to say, man, and I'm not trying to blow smoke up your ass. This is probably one of my favorites. This awesome. was, yeah, dude, we, we had a really good chat. I, I do appreciate it. So if you guys want to keep this podcast rolling, a couple ways you can do it. And I've got a new way. I'm doing memes for hire because fuck it. I'm going to charge people to make memes. So if you suck at making memes or you have a business and you want me to make some memes for you, hit me up. Pay me a couple bucks. I'll make you a nice meme. A poorly made one, but a nice one. Uh, other than that, at the end of every single podcast, there's a little link. Click on that and you can uh, become a monthly donor slash sponsor of the podcast. And it helps me uh, make this thing viable, buy some merch. Uh, I'm going to have some new stuff coming out. Like I, I don't know if I'll edit it out, but I was talking about somebody sent me a message of what it's probably going to be the image for my podcast merch. It's fucking amazing, but it's like almost too good that maybe no one would buy it, but it's really good. <laughs> It's so funny. And um, of course, take care of the the people that sponsor this podcast and, and, you know, help make this possible. And remember, if I get to a million downloads this year, I will get a poorly made police memes tattoo somewhere on my body. With that said, I hope you guys uh, are all having a good night out there. Be safe. And uh, remember that I love most of you. Bye bye.